following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second part of my Christmas issue, my, you know, my Christmas edition of Arts, the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday. And um, you'll also get a part for Christmas Day as well, because uh, some of you might be like me, you might be tied up at home Christmas Day and not get to go out anywhere and enjoy holiday fun and so I wanted to make sure you had something to listen to sitting here beside me is my cohort and co-host Victor Gouveia Merry Christmas everybody (laughs) and um, he's here he's just like usual doing all of his techie stuff and um, if you want to listen to us live you can listen to us on youtube facebook and twitter youtube and facebook it's whose blind life is it anyway uh twitter it's at blind who's b-l-i-n-d-w-h-o-s-e one word um if you don't like any of those options you can uh listen to us by podcast on uh most any podcast podcast finder that's out there um well let's see yeah audible won't do it but i think audible doesn't like it yeah yeah they, they're mad at us yeah <laughs> um but anyway i think they're the only ones that won't let us but uh well they must have really strict guidelines that's all i know but uh no they're just looking for professionalism and we are far from it. Well, excuse moi. Mm-hmm. And you. Um, it's awful. But, um, and if you, you, you can also listen to us um, by Alexa. If you, um, and you probably can the Google thingy as well. I just don't know what it's called. Uh, but it's like the uh, Echo uh, but you can oh the Google the Google Nest I think it's called the Google NES. Not sure. I'm not sure either. I think it's just Hey Google. Yeah. Oops. Uh, <laughs> My you... Android just went off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you can you know you can bring us up that way too. Just tell us tell it to play who's blind life is it anyway and it'll start out with the latest and go on and go on and keep on going until you tell her to stop um if you want to email me with any uh comments suggestions what have you um you can email me at afternoon radio theater sunday s-u-n-d-a-e like the ice cream afternoon radio theater sunday at 
gmail.com. Sometimes I get, <laughs> my head wants to say at whose blind life is it anyway.com. <laughs> and I have to stop me and make it say well, it right. Well, between you and I and, and about 10 different other people who are listening to it, I, I'm developing a website. I knew that. Blindlifeisinanyway.com. But I haven't gotten to it yet, but I will. Well, you better get busy. Yes, I should. But, um, and if you want to write to Victor for whatever reason, he's at whoseblindlifeisitanyway at gmail.com. And, uh, I think that's, I think I've got all the house cleaning done up. So, um. Oh, you missed a spot. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Pause me and let's see where I'm Oh, in. come on. I had to use, you landed oh, right there oh. in front of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but anyway, we've got uh, seven shows for you today and seven shows for you next week as well the first one that i have for you is um it's the aldrich family and poor little henry aldrich he's always trying to do something good but yet somehow he, he messes up on it <laughs> and so this one is called selling christmas cards and oh man he gets he gets so confused and he gets in so much of a mess i i hope y'all enjoy this one like I did. The Aldrich Family, based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith and starring Ezra Stone as Henry with Jackie Kelk as Homer. Henry! Henry Aldrich! Come on, mother! Schofield, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. They're more than just characters in books, for the things they say and do are the things real boys say and do. And Henry Aldrich is another of these typical American youngsters. A boy from your own block, perhaps from your own home. Now our scene opens at the Aldrich Telephone. Hello, operator. I want Elm 629. Elm 629? Henry, tell him exactly what you think of him. Gee whiz, they must have arrived by now. Number, please. Operator, I just gave it to you. Elm 629. Henry! Yes, Father? Are you through with that telephone? No, sir. I'm still trying to get my number. Hello, Centerville Station. This is Henry Aldridge. I sent away for a package about ten days ago, and I wonder whether it's come yet. A package? Yes, sir. It's some Christmas cards. Did you say Christmas cards? Yes, sir. Well, if you checked them that long ago, they've probably been thrown out by now. What's that? Oh, I didn't check them. I'm still waiting for them. How's that? They're samples for next Christmas. Homer Brown and I are going to sell them from house to house, only they're not here yet, and we're worried. Give them the deuce, Henry. Well, you're talking with the ticket office. Hold the line, and I'll connect you with the express department. Well, that's what I want to talk to. Gee whiz. What does he say, Henry? He's switching me. He thinks they may have been thrown out. Thrown out? What does he think we're going to show people for samples? Hello? Centerville Station? Yes, 
Canterville Express office. Hello, do you have any Christmas cards there? What's that? What did you want? This is Henry Aldrich. Henry Aldrich? He isn't here. I know it. He's here. Who is? Does he want to speak to me, Henry? Let go of the receiver, Homer. You're twisting me. Hello, hello. Did you want the Centerville Express office? Yes. Have Henry Aldridge's Christmas cards come? What's that? Would you speak a little louder, please? Where are my Christmas cards? You know, it's a funny thing, but it sounds as though you keep saying Christmas cards. I am. They were sent by Express. Well, this is a fine time to be calling us. You should have reported it last January. But I just ordered them in May. Well, why don't you come down here sometime and fill out a tracer? But, gee was don't you realize there's a war bond drive on? What's that? We don't get those samples. We can't get any orders to buy bonds with. I'm sorry, but you'll have to come down. But wait, I... Hello? Hello? That's telling him where to get off, Henry. Imagine. Henry? Yes, Father? Are you through? Yes, sir, for a second... Could we ask you something? Not until I put in my call. But it's important. What's it about? Why, uh, Christmas, Mr. Aldrich. Will you boys please get away from this phone? Yes, Father. Will you let us know as soon as you can discuss it, Mr. Aldrich? Sam! Yes, Alice, I'm going to phone Mr. Thomas. What are you going to say to him, Sam? I'm going to ask him quite frankly why he can't attend a few more committee meetings. You aren't going to say anything you'll be sorry for, are you? I'm not going to be one bit sorry. Here we are, ready to start a big bond club drive. Everybody's for it. They think it's a fine thing. But a few in this town aren't doing anything about it. Isn't Mr. Howard helping? He is not. There's another example. We have a chance to get some war bond show cards at cost. And Mr. Howard, the treasurer of the committee, can't show enough interest to make up his mind as to how many show cards we need. Well, dear, if I were you, I'd resign from the committee. And call off the war? Well, you can't fight it single-handed. Father! Yes? Alice, where's the phone book? It's right there on the stand. I know you've got a lot on your mind, Father, but would it be all right if I should ask you just one thing? What about? Christmas, remember? Christmas? Yes, sir. Have you bought your cards yet? Henry, will you please step out of my life while I look up this number? Hello, operator. I want Elm 232. Now, wait a minute. I just thought I'd ask my mother whether I can go down to the express office. Father, where are you going? Down to the office and put in the call. Now then, uh, tell me once more why you came down here to the express office. Well, I'm Henry Aldridge, and my friend and I are going to sell Christmas cards, see? Say that again, please. You're doing what? We're selling Christmas cards for next Christmas. Oh, well, I wouldn't be interested. But wait. <laughs> you told us to come down here. Here's the whole thing. We sent away for some samples, see? We're going to take orders, but you don't have to put any money down until September 1st, and we'd like to know where they are. Is that clear? Yes. Where what are our Christmas card. Henry, maybe i better explain it to him. No, Homer, you'll only confuse him. All I know is there's nothing like that here. Well, what are we going to do? Here it is June and Christmas is getting closer every month. I'll say. Gee whiz, we're going to use all the profits to join the War Barn Club. You are? Well, I'll take a good look, but I'm pretty sure that if there were any Christmas cards in this office, I'd know about it. Could one of you boys help me with this package, please? Yeah, sure. Hello, Mrs. Howard. Oh, hello, Henry. Oh, thank you so much. That's all right. This is heavy, isn't it? Thank you. I always said you were a gentleman. Well, thank you, Mrs. Howard. Would you... Would you be interested in some samples of Christmas cards, provided we can find them? 
That's very funny. What is? No, really, Mrs. Howard. We're selling them for bonds. For what? Don't you know? War bonds. We're going to give 10% of our income. Wouldn't you like to have us come over as soon as our samples come and take an order? You want me to sit down on a hot day like this and pick out my Christmas cards for next winter? Why not? And, Mrs. Howard, I guess we haven't made ourselves clear. What they do is print your name on each card. That's what takes the time. Sure. Especially if they print it in old English. You mean it takes six months? Well, if you want it done right, it does. And, Mrs. Howard, if you put it off, the first thing you know, snow will be falling and the Christmas bells will be ringing. My goodness, what's that? What's what? Oh, just a freight train. Oh. (laughs) Couldn't we interest you, Mrs. Howard? Just to sort of help our drive. Well, do you have any playing cards that aren't too fancy with just Merry Christmas on them? Oh, yes. I'm pretty sure we have. And they're cheap, I think. Well, I'll tell you what you do. Mr. Howard does all the ordering, so you phone him, and if it's all right with him, it's all right with me. Well, thanks very much. Do you want your name printed in Old English? Yes, you might as well, as long as we've got plenty of time. Say, Henry, there's no shipment here that I can locate. You're sure? Oh, Mr. Harris, I want to send that box of books there. Collect. It's all marked and everything. Yes, ma'am. You want to wait for a receipt? No, I'm in a hurry. I want to get home before I get stuck in a snowdrift. What's that? What's that? Merry Christmas. What did she say? It's all right. Are you sure our package isn't here? Yes, sir. Because, see, how are we going to buy bonds if we can't go to work? You're buying bonds? Sure, that's what this whole thing is about. Sure. Henry and I are having a drive. In conjunction with the rest of the town? Oh, sure. Well, I didn't know it was that important. Now, you say your package was shipped about how long ago? Ten days ago, wouldn't you say, Homer? That's the way I figure it. I see. Do you know whether it had anything breakable in it? Breakable? Yes, any glass. Glass? No, I wouldn't say so, would you, Homer? No, I've never seen a glass one that I can remember. No, I'd say definitely, no glass. Uh Well, let's fill out one of these blanks here and see whether we can get a tracer started. And please make it urgent. Oh, yes. And add no glass. Do you think it'll take very long? Because until it gets here, we're practically at a standstill. Well, I don't suppose I ought to do it, but since it's connected with the Bond Club Drive, I'll send the main express office a wire. Hello? Hello, is this Mr. Bush's office? Mr. Bush? No, this is Sam Ulrich. See, I was just talking with Ted Thomas. I asked him to do a little work on this bond club committee, and he seemed very much pleased. Yes? In fact, he said he was for it 100%. Fine. The only thing is, he says he's sorry. He has a couple of other things that he's going to have to give his time to, and he suggested you take his place. And that's for the bond committee, Sam? Yes. That's uh, fine. That's just fine. Glad to have the opportunity. In fact, I'm 500% for it. Well, that's fine. Now I'll tell you what we want you to do. Now, now wait, Sam. Wait before we get too far into this. I... Unfortunately, I have a lot of work on my desk. It's already way behind. You have? Yes, I'm a little ashamed of myself to let it go this far, especially at a time like this. I see. I'll tell you what I'll do. Get hold of John Clark. He's the man for you. John Clark? Yes, yes. I was having lunch with him yesterday. He was saying he wished he could do something to help out. He said he felt so useless. He did? Well, that's fine. As a matter of fact, Sam, why don't you call him yourself? Easy for you to make direct contact. All right, thanks. Oh, that's okay, Sam. Anything else I can do? Don't hesitate calling. Fine. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, that's a fine thing. Here's a letter for you, Mr. Aldrich. Thank you. Put it on my desk. Is Mr. Bush against the bond drive? No, no. He's very much for it. In fact, he's 500% for it. That's more than anyone else I've called up this morning. Did you talk to Mr. Howard? Yes. He said he doesn't think a thousand show cards are necessary to advertise the bond drive. What does he want us to do? Keep it a secret? Well, he said he wants to think it over and you're to call him back. Are you going to ask Mr. Clark to help you? Not right away. I'm going to sit down and rest a minute. (laughs) 
Telegram the Express Company, Sanders. I still can't believe it, Homer. Read it again. It says, Aldridge, Centerville, have no record shipment of Christmas trees this year. Wire further details collect. Well, if that isn't the darndest thing, how could people be so dumb, Henry? What do you think we ought to say in reply? Tell them we can't understand their telegram. Will they please wire us more details? Well, that isn't going to get us anywhere, Homer. We've got to send them a very careful explanation. All right, only I don't know how we're going to do it in ten words. Why should we worry about ten words? They say send it collect. You got a pencil? Sure. What do we say? Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Then how about... Don't want Christmas trees. Sure. That'll tell them. We cannot purchase war bonds because order we placed ten days ago has not arrived. Sure. Have you misplaced Christmas cards? Some of those were New Year's cards, Homer. They were? Let's just say, have you misplaced holiday greetings? That's good. That'll tell the whole story. (laughs) Here, Homer, take it over to the ticket office and finish writing it down while I phone Mr. Howard. What for? Tell him his wife wants him to place an order with us. You know, the more I think about this telegram, the better I like it. What's Mr. Howard's number? 10 days ago not arrived. Have you misplaced holiday greetings? Well, that's clear enough. What sense do you make out of it? Well, they're having some kind of a bond drive. But what are they using Christmas trees for? Don't ask me. Uh, Probably for decorations. And they decided it was a bad idea. But we don't have any shipment of trees. All right, fine. And everybody's happy. But Joe, why do they say have you misplaced holiday greetings? Hey, what's that? Isn't that a period right after misplaced? Is that a period? Sure. But it ought to be a question mark. Here's how it goes. Cannot purchase war bonds because order placed 10 days ago has not arrived. Have you misplaced? Question mark. Holiday greetings. Aldrich. <laughs> what are the holiday greetings for? I don't know. Isn't next Sunday Father's Day? <laughs> well, sure, but how do they know I'm a father? And look at this, Joe. What they're looking for is a shipment of bonds. Of war bonds? That says so right there. The driver's held up because we misplaced the shipment. Gee, Bill, that's a pretty serious thing. Uh, telegram, Mr. Cooper. Well, what's this one about? I don't know, but it's marked right. Oh, it's another one from Aldrich. It says, must have shipment. Have sold 500. Holiday greetings. Polite guy, isn't he? We're going to get into trouble, Bill. 
You better send that up to the superintendent and let him try to figure it out. Getting back to the troubles of Henry Aldrich. Henry and Homer had planned to take orders for Christmas cards in order to make enough money to buy a war bond. When the samples for the cards did not arrive, they wired the express company. They wired a second time. While the boys are waiting at the station for a second reply, the scene opens in Mr. Aldrich's office. Hello? Is this John Clark? This is Mr. Clark. Well, this is Sam Aldrich, John. Yes? I was talking with Mr. Bush this morning about our bond drive. I wanted him to do some work on one of the committees. Yes, is he going to? Well, he wants to. He's for us 500%. But he's tied up right now, and he suggested I call you and see whether you couldn't help us out. Well, that's fine. That's fine. I'm glad you called. Good. Now I'll tell you what we'd like to have you do. Uh, Now, wait, Sam. Uh, Is this something that has to be done in the next few days? Yes, it'll have to be. Well, that's too bad. Uh, Because after next week, I could give you all the time you want. But you can't right now. Well, you know how things are in my business, Sam. I'm with your heart and soul, but my hands are tied. I see. You know me, Sam. I'm for this drive a thousand percent. I wish you luck. Goodbye. Goodbye. Here's a box that just arrived, Mr. Aldridge. A box? What's in it? A supply of 10% pledge buttons for the bond drive. Are they all 10%? Aren't any of them a thousand percent? Hello, Sam Aldridge speaking. Uh, this is Howard. Yes, Howard. Sorry I was out when you called, but I got your message. My message? Yes, and I don't understand it. What message are you referring to? Whether I prefer red or green envelopes. For what? For the cards, the show cards. Why would we want envelopes for them? That's what I'm asking you. Well, we certainly don't want to go to the expense of ordering a thousand envelopes. A thousand? Now, look here, Aldrich. We agreed to order only 500 cards. Oh, we did? So let's not spend any more time discussing it. I've got a lot of things on my mind. Are you too busy to come to a meeting at two? I'm afraid I am, Sam. I've got a late luncheon engagement. But you call me when it's over and let me know what you did. Yes, of course. Goodbye, Sam. Goodbye. Alice, what are you doing down here at the office? Sam, I thought we were going to meet for lunch. I've been waiting in front of the Emporium for half an hour for you. I'm sorry, Alice, but I've got work to do on the Bond Club parade. Dear, do you have to work this hard? Why can't Henry help you? Now, Alice, what good can one boy do? Read it again, Henry. I've already read it four times, Henry. Well, read it again. I can't believe it. Aldridge, Centerville, greetings to you. Entire force trying to trace shipment for bond drive. If unable, locate, advise reordering through Treasury Department. Please wire further wishes. They're crazy, Henry. And it's signed by the general superintendent. Well, that's what's the trouble. Do you know what my father does when he can't get action? What? He goes straight to the president of the company. Does that help? Sure. Let me have your pencil. Here. Gee was don't they realize we're losing orders left and right? And Henry, what about the big parade? We don't want to ride on the float if we haven't even bought our bond. That's what I say. What are you writing? President of the Express Company. Time is growing short. Now, how about time is shortening? Yeah, time is shortening. Losing orders. What will we do about Barn Parade? Please send greetings. That's telling them, Homer. Do you think it's clear? Clear? Why, it's as plain as day. And look, just as soon as we've sent this, let's call Mr. Howard again. What for? I just thought of something else we forgot to ask him. Any 
calls while I was out for lunch with Graham? Yes, Mr. Howard. Mr. Aldridge's son phoned. His son? What did he want? He's apparently helping his father. He wanted to know whether you want your middle initial printed on the card. On what cards? On the show cards, I imagine, for the bond drive. Well, they're going to print my name on them? I imagine they are. I'm supposed to call Mr. Aldridge back. Well, I didn't realize they were going to do anything like that. The Aldridge boy asked about Mrs. Howard, too, but I explained that she has nothing to do with this. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, Miss Gray, now, uh, how many of those cards did I tell you to order? Five hundred. Yes, well, I don't think five hundred will be enough. Do you? I don't know, sir. As a matter of fact, that wouldn't be anywhere near enough. Now, here's what you do. Call Sam Aldridge, see? Yes, sir. Tell him we want at least a thousand cards. With or without your middle initial. If he doesn't mention it, don't you. After all, I don't want him to think my name has anything to do with doubling the order. Yes, sir. Besides, I don't really care whether the J, the J is in or not. Yes, Mr. Howard. <laughs> Mr. Aldridge. Yes, Miss Thompson. The editor of the Times is here. He wants you to go over some coffee with him. Yes, of course. Tom, come on in. Oh, hello, Sam. I just stopped by to show you the story about the bond driver running tonight's paper. Fine, fine. Better give it the front page. Nearly half a column. Yes, half a column. You couldn't spare any more than that? Well, half a column's quite a bit, Sam. Tells the whole story. The only thing oh, is... Sam, you know me. I'm for this drive, but I can't overdo it. After all, my subscribers expect to find some news in the paper. The only thing is, Tom, the other paper is going to give their entire front page. We need the same from you. You mean some of the folks are against this drive? No, most of this town is working its head off. But there are a few, Tom, that need waking up. They're the ones we've got to sell on investing 10% of their income for the rest of this war. Ah, oh, don't you worry, Sam. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, excuse me. Hello, Sam Aldrich speaking. Uh, Mr. Aldrich, this is the Centerville Station. We got a telegram here for you. A telegram for me? I think it's for you. It came in while I was out. It says Aldrich, Centerville. Now go ahead. Who's it from? Uh, the president of the Express Company. From whom? What's he say? What's it about? Uh, he says, uh, greetings. I am doing everything in my power to facilitate your bond drive. If you do not get fullest cooperation from our local representative, please wire. Well... Well, then you say that's from the president himself? Yeah. And he's doing everything in his power to facilitate our bond drive? Yeah. And what's the rest if we do not get fullest cooperation from local representatives, please wire? Yeah. And greetings. Greetings. Yeah, but uh, that's not the important part. <laughs> and you say it's signed by the president? Yes, sir. Are you sure that's for me? It's addressed to Aldrich. Well, then I guess it is. Yeah, goodbye, Mr. Aldrich. Goodbye. Well, Sam. What's that, Tom? Isn't everybody that gets a telegram like that? I beg your pardon. Now, tell me frankly, Sam. About how much space do you think this paper ought to give to make this drive a success? Well, to tell the truth, that should be up to you. But we'd like a lot more than we're getting. A great deal more. And frankly, Sam, I think you should have it. Oh, excuse me. Hello, Sam Aldrich speaking. Oh, Mr. Aldrich, this is Mr. Howard's secretary. Yes? Mr. Howard wanted me to tell you that if you feel we need a thousand of those show cards, it's all right. Yes? Well, I'm glad he came around to my point of view. I'm just sorry I didn't ask for 1500 Well, I think it would be all right if you ordered 1500 You mean it's all right with Mr. Howard? Oh, yes. And print them any way you want to. Yes, well, that's fine. Uh, Sam, may I speak with Howard? Uh, Miss Gray, is Mr. Howard there? Well, oh, just a minute. I'll call him. Yeah, Tom. Thanks. Mr. Aldridge, there's a gentleman in the outer office that wants to see you. To see me? From the express company. Yeah? Uh, excuse me, Tom. I'll be right back. Hello? Uh, Howard, this is Tom from over at the Times. Yes? Did you know that Sam Aldrich just got a personal wire from the president? No. Yes. And he told Sam if he doesn't get the fullest cooperation from us, he wants to... Hello. Hello. Is this Clark? Yes. Well, Clark, this is White. Say, you know that golf game we were going to have tomorrow? Yes. Well, would you mind our postponing it for a couple of weeks? I'm going to be pretty busy on the bond club drive. Oh, you are? Oh, yes, yes. I don't know whether you know it or not, but the president's taking a personal interest in it. Sam Aldrich got a wire from Washington and confidentially... (laughs) 
Mike on the phone now. Thank you. Uh, hello, Jenny. Yes? This is J.J. I won't be home for dinner, Jen. Why not? I've got to do some work on the bond committee. Probably be midnight before I get home. But, J.J., I've arranged a bridge game for tonight. Well, cancel it. The bond drive's more important. Yes, dear. Oh, has Henry Aldrich been in touch with you? No, what about? Christmas cards. Jenny, this is no time to think about Christmas cards. Goodbye. <laughs> hello? Hello, is this Sam Aldrich? Yes. Well, this is Clark. Say, Sam, why didn't you call me again? What about? The bond drive. We can't sit back and expect you to carry the whole load. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Don't you think we ought to talk to folks into investing 15% each week instead of just 10? Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> The one just coming up to the reviewing stand. Oh, yes, yes, very good. Is the float that Henry and Homer are on in sight yet? Uh, not yet. They ought to be along in a minute, though. Sam, which company here in town bought the most bonds? The Express Company. The Express Company? Yes, for some reason, the main office in Chicago wired that they'd be willing to thump the pledge of any firm in town. Well, what's that nicer? Hey, you know those shirts are Howard, okay? They're pretty nice. Well, There's a package at the house from the Excelsior Greeting Card Company. Yes? Yes, it came this morning by parcel post. Yes? Sam, Sam, here comes a float that Henry's on. Where? Way down the street. See it, Sam? See it? Oh, yes. Sam, when did he get the truck? The express company loaned it. But Sam, why are Henry and Homer in truck suits? They're supposed to be relay races, Alice, don't you see? Oh, oh, yes, isn't that nice? What is that that Henry's handing over to Homer? A torch, Alice. See the sign above them? They represent the spirit of total effort. Of total what? Effort, Alice. Effort. This drive is the greatest thing this town has ever had. Listen again next week, same time, same station, for another sparkling half hour with your favorite youngster, his family, and his pals. The Aldrich Family, starring Ezra Stone, is written by Clifford Goldsmith. The Aldrich Family, starring Ezra Stone, is written by Clifford Goldsmith. Last week, I did a show um, from Amos and Andy, and it was called Annual Christmas Program. This one is just called Christmas Program, and it's different from the one I played last week. So I thought you might enjoy it. Campbell Soup bring you Amos and Andy.
Andy received many Christmas greetings. Both boys are extremely happy and are looking forward to Christmas Day. As the scene opens now, we find Amos in the front room of his flat. Andy has just entered carrying a few packages. A small lighted Christmas tree sits on a table in one corner. In the back room, Amos's baby boy is asleep in his crib, and his little daughter is preparing for bed. Ruby and her mother have just gone out for a short while. Yeah. Well, come in there, son. You look like Santa Claus there with all that stuff. Yeah, how is your boy? Oh, how fine. is fine. Very good. Yeah, same to you, dog. Don't that feel as good? Yeah, don't look pretty? Yeah, wait a minute. Let me lay these packages down here on the sofa. Oh, you're making the rounds, ain't you, son? Yeah, making the rounds. Spreading good cheer. Yes, sir. Oh, boy. That is a pretty tree, too. Yeah. Got a lot of lights on there, boy. Yeah, we saved some of them from last year, and then we got another new string this year and added on to it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, we just decorated that tonight. Uh-huh. Ruby and her mama is going out to take a few things to some poor people that they know here in town. They'll be gone about an hour. Yeah, well, I'll leave these packages here. Leave these? All of them? Oh, sure. Here's one for Ruby. Here's one for her mama. Oh, gee. There's one for you right there. Oh, thank you, and there's a little rattle in here for your baby. Oh, gee, really? Look at this. And here's a package for your oldest child, your little girl. Oh, uh, I, I here Santa Claus is here, and thank you so much. Well, that's all right. I see a lot of stuff over at my place from your house. Yeah, well, just like I told you, Andy, it ain't much, but we wanted you to know that we love you and we are thinking about you. You know that. Oh, well, Amos, I feel better this Christmas than I ever felt. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, when you open up your packages? Well, uh, the kids get up early, and, well, we all get up and start early Christmas morning. And, and by the way, don't forget, uh, you promised me this morning that you'd be here for Christmas dinner with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that show is nice of you, all right, because the other Christmas dinners didn't work out so good. Oh, it didn't, huh? Uh, well, we want you here, so now we're going to count on that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's well. Well... I got to get going, son. I got to drop in on two or three people to say hello to them. Yeah, well, I hate to have you rush off, Andy. Don't you want to sit down a little while? No, no, I'll get going, son. Just want to come by here and kind of wish you a Merry Christmas tomorrow. Uh-huh. Well, you know I wish you one, son. Yeah, by the way, uh, you don't want to go with me now, do you? Drop in on some friends or something? Oh, no, and I can't. Uh, I'm going on back now and see that the baby is covered up in the crib and say good night to Arbadella. You know, she wants to know all about Christmas. She can't wait till tomorrow. Yeah, well, that's great, son. Well, Merry Christmas again. Well, see you, see you, and thank you for the packages, Andrew. You're welcome, Amos. You're welcome. So long, sir. So long, son. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Well, honey, you was in bed, ain't you? Daddy. Can I turn on the little radio for a minute before I go to sleep? Well, uh, just for a minute or two, I'll snap it on for you. Say, you, uh, we let it warm up a few seconds. We don't want to wake up baby, you know. Well, movies never wake you, my daddy. Yeah, well, now, let me straighten your covers out a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Did you said your prayers? Well, Mama heard my prayers before she went out, Daddy. Oh, that's good, yeah. The Paul Taylor Chorus continues with the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, well, now, you get under covers, honey. Daddy, could you get some Christmas music on the radio? Why, darling, this is the very best Christmas music you could get. 
heard the Lord's Prayer. I can say the Lord's Prayer with Mommy. She's been teaching it to me. Yeah, I know she is. What does the Lord's Prayer mean, Daddy? Well, it means an awful lot. And with the world like it is today, darling, it seems to have a bigger meaning than ever before. Well, what does the Lord's Prayer mean? The Lord's Prayer... Well, darling, I'll try to explain it to you. Oh, will you, Daddy? Yeah, now you lay down and listen. The first line of the Lord's Prayer is this. Our Father, which art in heaven, that means Father of all that is good, where no wrong can dwell. Now, the next line is, Hallow be thy name. That means, darling, that we should love and respect all that is good. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That means, darling, as we clean our hearts of all hate and selfishness and fill our hearts with love, the good, the true, and the beautiful, then this earth will be exactly like heaven. Oh, that would be wonderful, Daddy. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, that means to feed our hearts and minds with kindness, love, and courage, which will make us strong for our daily task. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and forgive us our debtors as we forgive our debtors. You remember the golden rule? Oh, yes, sir. Well, that means that we must keep the golden rule and do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. And then it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That means, my darling, to ask God to help us do and see and think right so that we will neither be led or tempted by anything that is bad. Uh-huh. And then it says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That means, darling, that all the world and everything that's in it belongs to God's kingdom. Everything. Mommy, your daddy, your little brother, your grandma, you and everybody. And as we know that, and act as if we know it, my darling, that is the real spirit of Christmas. Oh, that's good, Daddy. Well, darling, I guess I ought to turn off the radio and let you go to sleep. Good night, Daddy. Good night, my sweetheart. Daddy. Yes? Will you leave the radio on while I go to sleep? All right, I'll leave it on for a couple of minutes, and I'll come back and turn it off, and you listen to the Christmas music.
He's asleep. Merry Christmas, my darling. Tomorrow is Christmas. The day of all days when old friendships and family ties are renewed and strengthened. This year, more than ever, the real fundamental things in our life stand out from the trivial and inconsequential. The Christmas service at church has more meaning. The old words, freedom, equality, tolerance, character, take on new values. And most of all, we realize the importance in our lives of the people we like most. Some of us, just as some of you, are fortunate to have our families with us this Christmas. Some of us, just as some of you, have folks in army camps, on ships, or on foreign shores. But this Christmas, there is a greater appreciation of family ties, of friends, than in the past 24 years. We think of you as friends of ours. And as such, Amos and Andy and I, and the makers of Campbell's Soup, wish you, with special warmth and meaning, a Merry Christmas. same hour. This is Bill Hay speaking for Campbell's Soup, bidding you all good night. And inviting you to stay tuned in for Lanny Ross, who follows immediately. This show just breaks my heart every time I listen to it. And it's it's called, it's Dragnet, and it's called A Rifle for Christmas. And it's about this little boy, and he gets a rifle for Christmas, and he and his little neighbor boy gets to playing with it. And uh, I think the neighbor boy ends up shooting him by accident. And then he kind of runs off because he don't want anybody to find him. He's, and uh, it's just it's it's just really pitiful, but it's. It's a good show anyway. So you're saying it should make the NRA happy and sad at the same time? Well, either way they want it. They can be happy. <laughs> they can be sad. Thank you. Um, never mind. I said, <laughs> I'll save that for snap. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. 
Detective Sergeant, you're assigned to homicide detail. A small boy is reported missing from his home. His age, nine years. Foul play is suspected. Your job, find him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest, Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima is doubling and redoubling its smokers. So, if you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Dragnets, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, December 22nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way into work, and it was 3.55 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Joe. Ben, what's doing? Oh, pretty quiet. How's your mother? Oh, that cold's still hanging on. Bad cough. Doc says nothing serious. My kid's got the same thing. Must be some kind of a virus going around. Yeah. Is that a new suit you've got on? Oh, yeah. Ma figured I needed one. Let me see. Oh, yeah, that's a nice shade of blue. Where'd you get it? Quincy's down in South Fig. Look okay? Turn around. Oh, yeah, that's a good fit. Uh, did you get all the reports on the Webster case yet? Yeah, all taken care of. Let me get it. Homicide, Friday. This is Levinson, Unit 113J. Got something for you. Yeah, Harry, what's doing? Doherty and I are out here on Collis Avenue, 4656. Trying to track down a nine-year-old boy. What's the story? Kid's missing, suspicion of foul play. How long has he been gone? About two hours. Looks like a job for homicide. How do you figure? Kid was last seen playing in the backyard of his home. Yeah? We checked over the yard. Find anything? Bloodstains, lots of them. They look new. Ben and I left a message for Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. Then we went over to the crime lab, picked up Lieutenant Lee Jones, and drove out the Arroyo Seco Freeway to Collis Avenue. It was an average neighborhood. Number 4656 was a one-story green stucco residence situated on the corner of Collis Avenue and Harrison Drive. Beyond the backyard was a tract of undeveloped land covered with scrub oak. Harry Levinson from Highland Park Juvenile was waiting for us in front of the house. Back this way, fellas. I'm coming, Lee. Wait till I get my back. Okay. Who notified you that the boy was missing, Harry? The mother. Said she went out to do some Christmas shopping about 11 this morning, left the boy home. Came back about 2 this afternoon, he was gone. What's the name? Johnstone. Kid's name is Stanley, nine years old. Mm-hmm. Was this gate open like this when you got here? Oh, yeah, I haven't touched a thing. Uh, here are the stains over here, Lieutenant Jones, uh, along the edge of the walk, see? Yeah, let me see. Mm. Quite a few stains, huh? Looks like it might be blood. I'll try some benzidine on these spots here. Yeah, there we are. See what happens? Where's the kid's mother now, Harry? In the house. Darty's talking to her. Did you talk to any of the neighbors? People next door. Uh, one's on this side. 
They couldn't tell us anything. There it is, fellas. Yelly. These spots I covered with benzodine, the trend blue. Blood stains, all right. Can't say definitely whether it's human or animal blood. Mm-hmm. You have to go back to the lab to run it through. Yeah, biological precipitant test. Hand me one of those glass vials from my bag, will you? Yeah. Okay, here you are. Thanks. Scrape some of these flakes off for a test. There we are. How soon can you tap the blood for us, Lee? The precipitant test won't run more than 20 minutes. It'll take three or four hours to run a blood grouping, though. That's it. Anything else you want to check? Levinson, anything else? Oh, uh, right here in my handkerchief. Empty shell. That marker over there by the rose bush, that's where I found it. Mm, from a twenty-two, huh? Yeah, might tie in, might not. Mark it and dump it in this envelope, will you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joe. There you go. Did you get out a missing broadcast in the boy here? A uh, darty did about a half hour ago. Oh, here's a description here. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mother know about the bloodstain? No, we didn't tell her. She's worried enough already. And she has no idea what might have happened to her boy? No more than we do. She checked all her friends, relatives. We're covering the neighborhood. No trace so far. Not much to go on. Bloodstains, empty cartridge. Could mean a hundred things. Mm. Any ideas, Franny? Yeah, just one, and I don't like it. Four thirty p.m. Thursday, December twenty-second. The neighborhood search for nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone continued. Lee Jones went back to the crime lab to start the precipitant test and the blood grouping. Levinson and his partner Doherty from Highland Juvenile stood by. We called Chief of Detectives Thad Brown, and he ordered up a special detail to aid in the search for the missing boy. Ben and I questioned the boy's mother, Mrs. Ruth Johnstone, a woman in her early 40s. She seemed fairly calm under the circumstances. Miss Johnstone, um, is your boy standing in the habit of wandering off without telling you where he's going? No, he's not in the habit of wandering off, but he has done it before. When was the last time, Miss Johnstone? You don't have any children, do you, Sergeant Friday? No, I'm not married. Well, there comes that time in every young boy's life when he feels that it's time to leave home, to go out on his own. Usually happens somewhere around... Eight to ten. I think I know what you mean. I got a boy. Well, then you know how it is. My husband and I scolded Stanley one day after school. He was quite put out about it. He thought George and I were unfair. Packed a few of his things and left. How long was he gone? Oh, no time at all. About two hours. I was worried about him, but my husband said to leave him alone. Said every boy had to go through that stage. Well, then you think he's run away from home again this time? Yes, I think so. He's been gone about four hours now, and... I have a funny feeling about it. Did you and his father have some misunderstanding with the boy recently? Well, that's just it. We haven't. I don't mind telling you now that we're talking about it. I'm, I am getting worried. Any place around that he might like to visit? Hobby shop, playground, where he might be? Yeah, there's um, Jensen's model shop and little Shanna Burroughs, but I've already called him and he hasn't been seen all day. I called all his friends and they have no idea where he is either. We'd like a list of all his friends and the places that he was known to frequent. Oh, yeah, all right. I'll give them to you. What do you suppose he is? Where's your husband now, Miss Johnstone? Oh, he's at work. George works for the city. He's a fireman. What house is he stationed at? Engine Company 12. He's working the A platoon. He'll be home tomorrow morning. I haven't told him as time he's gone. Was well, there any chance that the boy might be down at the firehouse with his father? No. No, he seldom goes down there anymore. No, I don't think he's there. I'm awfully worried. May I call my husband? Certainly. Go right ahead. I know George will be worried. Stanley's been gone too long. Hello? May I speak with George Johnstone? This is Mrs. Johnstone. Thank you. 
I hate to call George at his work. Yes, ma'am. Does your husband own a gun? Yes, he does. What caliber? Do you know? Well, it's a forty-five automatic. He got it. George? This is Ruth. George, is Stanley down there with you by any chance? Oh. No, I can't find him anywhere. He hasn't been here when I came home from my shopping. Uh, there are two policemen here. No, I said there are two policemen here. Oh, no, dear. I'll call you if we don't find him soon. All right, dear. Yes, you too. Goodbye. Well, I, I didn't think he'd be with George. That forty-five. is that the only gun in the household? Well, yes. Why are you asking about guns? Is, has anything happened that you're not telling me about? No, ma'am. Just routine checking. We'll have to take a look at that forty-five, though, if you don't mind. Maybe I should tell you. We we do have another gun in the house, but it, it's all wrapped up. George bought it for Stanley's Christmas present. May we see it, please? Well, yes. Will, will you have to unwrap it? Yes, I'm afraid so. I think I can reach it. We, we had to hide it. So let me see. Here's the paper it was wrapped in. Stanley must have found it. It's gone. See, here's the gift card in the box the gun came in. The rifle. Can I look at that box, ma'am? Thank you. How about it, Joe? Twenty-two caliber. Thursday, December 22nd, 5.15 p.m. It was getting dark. The search for the missing boy continued. We checked the list of Stanley Johnstone's friends. None of them or their parents had any idea of his whereabouts. We talked with Levinson again. He had been in touch with the detail combing the neighborhood. They had found nothing. We went down to Collis Avenue and 10th Street, service station on the corner. One nickel, Joe? No, I got one. You watch for that, huh? Yeah. Okay. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Crime lab count. Hi, Lee. Joe Friday. Yeah, Joe. Any sign of the Johnson kid? No, not yet. How are you coming? Finished the precipitant test. It's human blood. Yeah. Working in the blood group now. Do you know what type the Johnson boy has? Well, we didn't want to upset his mother. I thought we'd wait till the last thing. We're still in the neighborhood. A check with the family physician. That way you won't disturb. Yeah, we figured on that. Oh, just a minute, Lee. Yeah, yeah Ben. Boss just pulled up. Okay. Uh, Thad Brown's out here now. I'll check you later, Lee, huh? Right, Joe. All right, goodbye. Gentlemen, how's it going? Just checked with Lee Jones. Yeah, I know. It's human blood. What do you think? We talked with the boy's mother, Miss Johnston. Found a gun missing. Yeah. Caliber's the same as the empty case that Levinson found. Twenty-two. You said the gun was missing. Yeah, the Johnstones were going to give it to the boy as a Christmas present. They had it hidden, but it's gone now. Any idea who took it? Well, they left the Christmas wrapping behind. I think it was the kid. 22 rifle, huh? Nine-year-old boy. When are they going to learn? First, it's carbide cannons on the 4th of July. The city issued ordinance after ordinance. But a few thousand kids around the country had to lose their eyes, fingers, hands. Before the parents gives us their full cooperation to outlaw them. I know what you mean. Sure you do. Even every other cop in the country became the heaviest trying to clamp down on them. It's always the same story. This time it's guns for Christmas. I know what you're thinking, but we're not sure yet. Listen, Friday, there's a city ordinance against giving a gun to a kid. You know that. Yes, I know that. There's a missing boy and a missing gun. There's blood on the ground and an empty shell. That's enough for me. I'm going to stay with it. Something's got to break. Yeah. I hope it's not the hearts of that kid's parents. Oh, hi, Chief. I've been looking for you, Friday. What do you got, Harry? Found the gun. 
New 22 rifle. Strong smell of cordite. I'd say it's been recently fired. What'd you find it, Levinson? Uh, back up there in that scrub oak. Up behind the Johnston house. Mrs. Johnstone identified it. Buckley took it down to the crime lab. Thanks, Harry. Uh, is Miss Johnston okay? Mm, pretty sick now. Killaby came up with something else. What's that? There's another one missing. An eight-year-old boy. 6.30 p.m. We talked with Officer Killaby about the other missing boy. He told us that his name was Stephen Morheim, eight years old. His family had just moved into the neighborhood, and it seemed that no one besides the Morheim family knew that the boys played together. Mrs. Morheim told us that Stephen told her that he was going out to play and that he'd be home by 6 o'clock for dinner. She told us that he was an unusually prompt boy and almost never overstayed his playtime. We got a description of the Morheim boy and put out a missing broadcast. We called the Johnstone's family doctor. He told us that Stanley's blood was type O. At 7 p.m., we talked again with Mrs. John Morheim. Are you sure Mrs. Johnstone doesn't know where the boys are? She has no idea, Miss Morheim. It's terrible. It's just awful. I feel there's more to this thing. Something you're not telling me. Well, there's no use to upset you until we know a few things for sure. Then you are holding back something. Now, please try not to worry, Ms. Morheim. There are certain questions we'll have to ask, routine questions in any kind of investigation. Is there anything else you want to know? Yes, ma'am. What is your boy's blood type? That's a funny question. Do you think anything's happened to him? Have you found him and you're not telling me? No, ma'am, we haven't found him. We don't think anything's happened to him. His blood type? Yes, ma'am. I think I have it written down in Stevie's baby book. Yes, here it is. Type O. Thank you. Wonder if I might use your phone, please? Yes, of course. It's in the hall. I'll be right back, then. Yeah, okay. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Grandlet, Tinker. Hello, Ray. This is Friday. Lee there? Uh, just a minute, Joe. Take two, Lee. John speaking. Checking back, Lee. Uh, did you get the blood types on the two missing boys? Yeah, both boys type O. So are the stains, Joe. You are listening to Dragnet for the solution to an actual case from official police files. Now, here's a real solution to many of your Christmas shopping problems. If your friends smoke a long cigarette, give the best of long cigarettes, Fatima. Give Fatima for quality. The name Fatima has always stood for the best in cigarette quality. Give Fatima for flavor. Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. Give Fatima. They're extra mild. Yes, Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. Yes, extra mild. So give Fatima for Christmas in the attractive golden yellow carton. It's the long cigarette that has doubled and redoubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day agree. Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Eight p.m. Thursday, December twenty-second. Still no sign of either of the missing boys. Chief of Detectives Thad Brown went back to headquarters to direct the search from there. He dispatched another detail of fifty men to aid in the hunt for the missing youngsters. Eight thirty p.m. 
was getting colder. The citrus growers were warned to expect a freeze. We went up the block to see Mrs. Johnstone. Her husband had quit work early and returned home. We talked with him. He could tell us nothing more than we already knew. We still had not informed either of the families about the blood stains and the empty cartridge casing which had been discovered in the backyard of the Johnstone home. It was more than possible that they had a right to know about our findings, but Ben and I felt that there was no cause to add the, to the distress of the two families at this time. If the two missing boys were found alive and well, then the blood stains and the cartridge case would be of no concern to the relieved parents. At 8.40 p.m., Ben and I left the Johnstone house and went to the home of Mr. and Mrs. John Morheim. Ms. Morheim, you said your husband worked at a market? Yes. He telephoned about 15 minutes ago and said he was closing up right away. He'll be here any minute. I do wish Stevie would call or come home. It's so cold out tonight. All he had on was a thin cotton jacket. Please try not to worry. We're doing everything we can. It's going to be all right. Stevie's father's such a sensitive man. He and the boy are so close. I know he's terribly upset. No, you're sure there's no place you might have forgotten? Some place where the boy might be? No, no place. No. Anything happened to the boy, it'll just kill you. No, no. You sit still. I'll get it, Miss Morgan. Joe. Hi, Harry. The Johnstone kid. He's been found. He's home, Sergeant. He's come home. Thank God he's all right. Where's he been? Did he tell you? No. No, he didn't. He, his clothes were all dirty and he's acting strange. I've never seen him like this. How do you mean, Miss Johnson? Well, he just came in the front door and said, Hello, Mom. And then he sat down in a chair and stared at the floor. He won't talk to his father or me. Do you mind if I talk to him? No, go ahead. I asked him about the little Moorheim boy and he wouldn't tell me a thing. Where is he now? In the living room. Looks all right. Yes. Son. Son, this is a police officer. He, he wants to talk to you. Now, don't be afraid, dear. He only wants to ask you some questions. Son. You see, Sergeant? Stanley, come on, look at me, son. Get your head up, youngster. Come on, now that's better. I had your mother pretty worried, you know that? You want to tell us where you've been? I wish you'd try to get him to eat a little something. Do you hear that, son? Want something to eat? Stanley, there's another little boy up the street who hasn't come home. Do you know where he is? His father and mother are worried about him, too. Just like your folks were. You've got to help us find him, son. I... I killed him. I killed Steve with the twenty-two. We were only playing. <laughs> but I killed him. How do you know you killed him? Maybe he's only hurt. Now, isn't that it? <laughs> no, he's dead. I know he's dead. The gun went off. We forgot we put bullets in there. Where is he, Stanley? I hid him. I was scared. I didn't want anybody to find him. Where did you hide him, son? In a cave up on the hill. I didn't mean it. It was my pal. You want to show us where, son? Yes, I'll show you. Please don't send me to jail. 9.15 p.m., Thursday, December 22nd. Nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone led the way up the hill behind the backyard of his home. He showed us the wagon he moved the body in. His father came along with us. 
About 50 feet from the crest of the hill, the boy pointed to a thicket of scrub oak. There we found a small cave holding the body of Stephen Morheim. There was a single bullet wound in his chest just below his heart. He was dead. We covered the body. Stanley. Stanley, how did it happen? I knew my folks were going to give me the gun for Christmas. I knew where it was, and I got it. There was a box of bullets with it. Were you pointing the gun at Stephen? No, sir. No, sir, I wasn't. It was Steve's turn to play with it. I was chasing him. He tripped over the stump there in our backyard and fell. The gun hit him in the stomach. And it went off. Why do you think you killed him if you're telling us the truth? I'm telling the truth, honest. That's the truth. All right, I believe you, son. But why do you think you killed him? It was my gun. Steve would still be alive if I didn't go and get it. I should have waited till Christmas. It's all my fault. Where have you been all this time? In the cave with Steve. What were you doing in there, son? I was praying. I was praying for God to make him alive again. After a thorough investigation, Ben and I were convinced that the shooting of Stephen Morheim was accidental. Lieutenant Lee Jones' findings substantiated the Johnstone boy's story even to the smallest detail. We put in a call to the coroner's office and acquainted him with the facts. He designated a local mortuary to handle the body pending autopsy and granted us permission to remove the body to the Moorheim home. Mrs. Moorheim collapsed. The family doctor was called. Ben and I sat in the living room to wait for John Moorheim, the dead boy's father. Edith! Edith! Mr. Moorheim? Yes. You the police? Yes, sir. Where's Edith? Where's my wife? Has my boy come home? Have you found him? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? Steve! Stevie! Where's Steve? He's hurt, isn't he? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's hurt bad, Mr. Morhine. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's in his room. How bad? Pretty bad. Yourself, Mr. Morheim. I want to see my boy. <laughs> Mr. Morheim. Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. Listen to me, son. We've got you a lot of nice things for Christmas. Everything you wanted. I, I got you the three new cars for the train. The with the search is really works. <laughs> Son, you, you... You got that new switch you wanted to and a lot more track. Well, 
Where's your boy? He's right here. Won't you come in? It's all right, Mrs. Johnstone. You... You the boy that was with Stevie? Yes, sir. What's your name? Stanley. Stanley. I know it wasn't... Your fault, Stanley. I wonder if you'd do something for me. Yes, sir. I've got a lot of nice presents for Stevie. I know he'd want you to have them. I want to give them to you. Christmas Eve. Mom... I think that would be a fine idea, son. Come on, Ben. Well, what does it all prove, Joe? You don't give a kid a gun for Christmas. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 24th, 1948, a coroner's inquest was held in the county morgue, city and county of Los Angeles, state of California. In a moment, the results of that inquest. Now, here are authentic reports from all over the country that tell the story of Fatima's sensational increase in popularity. New York Division. Fatima sales up 132%. Chicago Division. Fatima sales up. 453%. Los Angeles Division. Fatima sales up 545%. More and more smokers agree Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. So enjoy Fatima yourself and give extra mild Fatimas for Christmas in the attractive golden yellow carton. Everyone who smokes Fatima says that this great new long cigarette is the best of all long cigarettes. (laughs) 
At the coroner's inquest, it was officially recorded that Stephen Morheim's death was the result of an accident. Stanley Johnstone, age nine, was absolved of any legal responsibility for his friend's death. You have just heard Dragnets, a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Acting Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Dragnet honors Hennepin County, Minneapolis, state of Minnesota, and the men of the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office, another of America's great law enforcement agencies. One of these men, Sheriff Ed Ryan, veteran police officer and department administrator who dedicates his life to making yours more secure. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, portion transcribed from Los Angeles. Be sure to hear songs by Morton Downey tonight on NBC. The next one is I have for you. It's Duffy's Tavern. And uh, if you've never listened to Duffy's Tavern, it, it's about... Um, it's really about the guy who runs the tavern. His name is Archie. And, you know, all the guys go in there and they talk and carry on and have a good time, you know, like people do in bars. And uh, so, but this one is called The Cast Does a Christmas Carol. Or have I got that right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting you said that. Doesn't isn't there an Archie Bunker's place about Archie Bunker owning a tavern? Yeah, it was a spin-off of All in the Family. Yeah. yeah. It went It's amazing favorite. how the two are named Archie. Well, now one is named Duffy's Tavern. This one is Duffy's Tavern. Uh-huh. And Duffy is the owner of the tavern, but you don't ever hear from uh, you don't ever hear from Duffy. You, uh, in the show, it, it, it never shows Duffy. It's always Archie there. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. That's interesting. Well, I, I, know you're, I know you're sorry. We'll forgive you anyway this time. <laughs> we'll look after you. There you go. It's Friday night, so we take you now to Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. <laughs> Duffy's Tavern is brought to you by Bristol Myers, makers of Vitalis and Minute Rub, two products that will pay you to remember. Minute Rub, modern chest rub, Vitalis for well-groomed hair. Minute Rub, Vitalis. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. What do you late meet to eat? Aren't you the man just speaking? Duffy ain't here. Hello, Duffy. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, by the way, we got two more Christmas cards tonight. Well, one from uh, Colucci, the fruit peddler. Yeah, very pretty card, too. It's got his coat of arms. Two crossed bananas with a tomato rampant in the background. <laughs> yeah, and the other one's from Cavendish, the undertaker. Yeah, it says, wishing you a joyous and merry Christmas and a short but happy New Year. <laughs> P.S. Drop in and see our new Christmas wrappings. <laughs> Yeah, you ought to be here, Duffy. Already the joint is reeking with Christmassy odor. Yeah, we're even putting on a show tonight, the Christmas Carol. What's well, an old play by Charles Dickens? Dickens. As in, go to D. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, the guy's a very famous writer, Duffy. He wrote uh, David Copperfield, the uh, picnic papers. Uh... <laughs> that other one about the dame, you know. Uh, uh, Oliver's Twist. <laughs> Look, Duffy, I'm busy now. I gotta rewrite the Christmas carol. Yeah, well, I gotta fix it up, you know. Some of the grammar is a little old-fashioned. <laughs> well, I'll call you back, Duffy. Merry Christmas. Okay. Hey, Eddie. Uh, yes? Look, it's Christmas. Uh, when do you say we kind of infest the joint with a little Christmas flavor? Leave us put some mistletoes around and some holly wreaths, huh? Oh, we've practically got a holly wreath already. The customers at the bar is turning red, and the ones that just finished eating are turning green. <laughs> Eddie, will you cut out the whiz me? I'm serious. Now, what could we do to make the joint a little more Christmassy? Uh, we could get a nice snow effect by whitewashing the sawdust. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea. Sure, I could trot around under the table with a little cask of brandy tied around my neck. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cute, like one of them St. Bernstein dogs. <laughs> eh, yeah, good old Christmas. Uh, by the way, I wonder what uh, Duffy is going to give us for Christmas this year. Yeah, I wonder. Hey, you know, I kind of got my heart set on the Hope Diamond. <laughs> you hope, you hope, you hope. <laughs> What'd he give you in last year again? A uh, monogrammed dustpan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. It makes a nice set with the monogrammed broom he gave me the year before. <laughs> now, look, Eddie, don't be bitter. After all, Duffy ain't really such a bad guy. No, he ain't such a bad guy. No. 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 Well, so long. This is where I get off. <laughs> Eddie, you better remember that Christmas dinner he gave us last year, the celery and the chestnuts and the cranberries and the cover charge. <laughs> ah, he was kidding. That big whole roast pig with the apple in its mouth. Uh -huh. <laughs> Hello, Finnegan, where's the apple? Huh? Uh, what apple? Uh, Skip, it's just a little picture you happen to conjure into my mind. Anyways, Merry Christmas to you, Finnegan. Well, and a Merry Christmas to you, Arch. Uh, by the way, uh, that brings up a subject. What? Arch, I'd like to ask you a question. Oh. What's the question? Well, Arch, promise me you'll tell me the truth. I promise. Okay. Arch, is there a chance of course? <laughs> well, bless your heart, Finnegan. What brought this on? Do uh, well, I was over to Macy's this morning, and on the fifth floor, there was a tall, skinny Santa Claus, and, and I got down to the third floor, and there's a short, fat Santa Claus. Frankly, I'm beginning to smell a rat. <laughs> now, tell me, will you? Uh, look, I, I don't want to be no stool pigeon. I, I'd rather you'd ask somebody else. So, well, who am I going to ask, Gotch? I asked me little brother Wilford, and he says there ain't no Santa Claus, but what does he know? <laughs> He's only a child. Look, you, you put me in a very bad position. Well, you got to tell me, Arch. I'm old enough to know. <laughs> and I'm going to find out sooner or later anyway. Finnegan, please, I'd rather that somebody Oh, else... come on, Arch. You told me about the stork, didn't you? <laughs> This is important for me. 
Well, why? Why is it so important? Well, I ain't smart enough to keep a job. I, I can't read. I can't write. I don't like girls. If, if there's no Santa Claus, what have I got to live for? Well, okay, Finnegan, you asked for it. You uh, see, this Santa Claus thing started, uh, well, you see, there's the birds and the bees and the flowers. Yeah. And, Finnegan... Turn your eyes the other way, will you? <laughs> That's better. Now you ask me if there's a Santa Claus. So prepare yourself, Finnegan. Go ahead, Arch. I can take it. Finnegan, there is no... Arch! No truth to the rumor that there is no Santa Claus. <laughs> Oh. There is a Santa Claus. Oh, boy, what a load up in me mind. <laughs> Santa Claus, is a coming in to die? Mm. Uh, these are adults. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Oh, just a second. Eddie is your girlfriend, Sonia Jones. Oh, my. The first official sign of Christmas. <laughs> hello. Oh, hello, Sonia. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Huh? Sure, I love you, sugar. What you doing? Uh, is you alone, baby? <laughs> ain't, ain't that a man's voice out here? <laughs> oh, you're listening to the news on the radio. I just saw you. How long has Gable Heater been calling you, honey? <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, I'm just suspicious. Yeah, baby. I know I'm always in your heart. Yeah. But, honey, who's that that's always in your apartment? <laughs> huh? From well, Merry Christmas, honey. Yeah. Uh, by the way, extend the season's greetings to Gable Heater for me. Well, it's bad news tonight. Eddie, why do you let that Sonia kick you around like this? What are you, man or your mouse? Pass the cheese. Say, Archie. Oh, hello, Miss Duffy. Hey, what's the matter with you today? Why? Well, you look even more battered than usual. <laughs> yeah, and that's just the way I feel. Gee, Archie, those department stores are terrible. You try to get near a counter and you take your life in your hands. They push you around, tear your sock and step on your toes, gouge your eyes out. Well, uh, what were you trying to buy? Nothing. I was just browsing. <laughs> well, that starts our conversation this evening on a nice idiotic basis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, incidentally, I hear you're going to put on a Christmas show tonight. Yes. Well, uh, needless to say, you'll want me to sing. On the contrary, equally needless. <laughs> You and that foghorn falsetto. That off-colorature. <laughs> you are not going now to... Now, listen here, you big dope. Look, Miss Duffy, leave us not fight tonight. It's the Christmas season, and I'm in too good a mood. In fact, I'm so happy, I'd like to kiss you. Hmm? Blindfolded, of course. <laughs> okay, you can sing in the show. Uh, Mr. Melnick. Yeah, I... Look, uh, we're going to need some Christmassy background music for the show tonight. Are you equipped? We're loaded, Jackson. In what way, Phil? <laughs> How are you loaded? <laughs> I got a kid named Robert Maxwell that's murder on this Christmas stuff. A harp player. Harp player, huh? Good idea. Duffy, I love it. <laughs> it's his native music. 
Okay, we'll put the kid in the show. Say, Archie. Yes, Mr. Muller. Uh, can you use me in the Christmas show? Well, yeah, maybe you could announce it. Uh, give me a sample, for instance. What would you say? Well, I don't know. Maybe something like this. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Duffy's Tavern takes great pleasure in presenting its Christmas show, starring that famous hair grooming preparation by Tallis. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Then I suppose you had in mind a ballet, maybe, where four men with tight, dry scalps dance around a bottle of vitalis <laughs> while the band plays hair, hair, the gang's all hair? Well, no, Archie. The orchestra would play Here, Here, Vitalis is Almost Here. Very sharp. Pull up your podium and pray continue. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty soon now, Vitalis will be back. Back to keep your dry, unruly hair well-groomed. And without that plastered-down patent leather shine. Yes, pretty soon, you'll be able to use Vitalis and the 60-second workout to loosen your tight, dry scalp, route loose dandruff, and help prevent excessive falling hair. Shortages will soon be relieved. And then you'll be able to get original, genuine Vitalis, the hair-grooming preparation that's been the standby of so many men for so long. Okay, Eddie, we're all set. Now, give me that bunk starter. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as you all know, each year we present our centennial Christmas show. <laughs> That moment has just become ripe. So I want you all to enjoy the show. Applaud when you like. Be merry. Have laughs. In other words, feel free to vent your spleen in any way you wish. <laughs> so without no further ado, leave us on with the show. Carry on, Mr. Miller. Thank you. <laughs> Duffy's Tavern brings you Christmas music. Christmas drama. But Santa Claus, suppose my husband comes home and finds you here. <laughs> Christmas humor. Do you think we will have a white Christmas, darling? Well, it will if it don't rain, dear. <laughs> and now on with the show. For our first act this evening, we give you that beloved little entertainer, your waiter and mine, Eddie Green. To know him is to tip him. Take it. <laughs> Better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming, coming on down to Harlem Town Oh my, hey! and you've got to find out who's naughty or nice Santa Claus is coming with his back full of jive, Mr. Five by Five Sees you when you're sleeping And he knows how good you've been So if you meet him face to face Say, solid old man, give me some skin He's got no reindeers, he ain't got no sweat But he's on his way and he's coming instead On the action such a speaker and the spider Thank you very much, Eddie Green. Now, for our next act, we reach into our Christmas grab bag, and what do we pull out? None other than Mr. Robert Maxwell's The World's Greatest Harvest. Okay, Robert, uh, 
take us on a mower side with a reach-beat hubcap and send us out with that old riff-raff sad sack, kid. <laughs> okay, take it away, Robert You gotta give the guy credit. He plays the thing with his bare hands. <laughs> what? Mrs. Duffy says she would like to have a little more Christmas schmaltz, huh? Okay, boss. <clears throat> Look, Matty, uh, can the uh, kid jive out a little more dig beat with a rip on the schmaltz side? What? Oh, I see I'm talking to a square. Duffy says he would like something a little more befitting to the occasion of the season. Well, how about White Christmas? Okay, let him chop it away in a gut bucket. Incidentally, if that thing ever has any little ukuleles, name one after me. <laughs> now, to continue our cruise down Santa Claus Lane, we next hear from that great singing duet, Clifton Finnegan and Miss Duffy. <laughs> Better known 
as half a wit and a near miss. <laughs> it's is Third Avenue's answer to the atomic bomb. Okay, take it away. Fly bell ring! Oh, you listening? Jeanette McDonald with a half Nelson on Eddie. <laughs> and now, we have a surprise act for you. Mr. Marvin Miller, our genial master of ceremonies, will beleaguer us with a poem. Go right ahead, Mr. Miller. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the nation, people had chest colds and had stuffed up sensations. Just a second. <laughs> I think I can finish that for you. With his sleigh full of minute rub, over housetops and spires, came Santa Claus shouting, On, Bristol, on, Myers! (laughs) Okay, Mr. Mullen, you may now lapse into prose, if you please. (laughs) Well, just to say that minute rub, a really modern chest rub, is wonderful to help relieve that uncomfortable cold misery. All you do is rub Minute Rub on your throat, chest, and back, and in a minute, Minute Rub gets to work and starts to relieve that clogged-up feeling in the nose and throat. Starts to bring a feeling of warmth to those tight, sore chest muscles. And because Minute Rub is greaseless and stainless, it can't stain clothes or bed linens. So get a jar of Minute Rub and get relief from annoying cold misery the modern way, the greaseless, stainless Minute Rub way. Okay, Mr. Miller, you may now announce the big piece of resistance. Right. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we now present The Christmas Carol, written by the Dickens boys, Charles and Archie. (laughs) As our scene opens, we find Ebenezer Scrooge, played by Archie, preparing to go to bed in his miserable little room on Piccadilly Square. All England is a grog with Yuletime spirit. But for miserable old Ebenezer Scrooge, there is no Christmas. At the moment, we find him in an ugly mood, writing in his diary. Dear diary, had a pleasant day today. Bankrupted three widows, foreclosed 12 mortgages, and drove nine families out into the snow. Barefooty, of course. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Scrooge, sire. Oh, it is my butler, Godfrey. What do you want, my man, Godfrey? It's getting mighty cold in there. Do you think we can afford to throw another twig on the fire? (laughs) 
Heavens to Betsy, man, you threw one on last Friday. Do you think these twigs grow on trees? I know, but it's getting cold in here. There's icicles on the window. So what? Ain't you never seen icicles on a window before? Not on the inside. Oh, before I forget, the widow Scratchit called this morning. Uh, Scratchit, Scratchit. Is uh, she the widow of Willie Scratchit? I mean, Willie Scratchit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she, she's the one you, you work to death squeezing limes in your lime house. <laughs> she says she said you promised to pay her a pension of two pence a week. Well, get rid of it, Godfrey. If I have to go around paying two pence a week to every widow in Wessex, I wouldn't have a pair of pence to me name. <laughs> Besides, it ain't my fault that that husband of hers didn't save nothing out of what I gave him every week. But, sire, how much can one save out of ten lashes a week? <laughs> bah, humbug. But the widow's downstairs starving, sire. Can't we at least give her a piece of bread? Oh, leave her starve. And poor people is all alike. Greedy, how about? Yeah. <laughs> Give them bread today, and tomorrow they're back asking for water. Yeah, but, sire, this is Christmas. Christmas. How I hate it. Christmas trees, presents, happy people, goodwill. I hate Christmas. Yeah, but why do you feel this way, sire? I'll tell you why, Knave. Because <laughs> I am a black-hearted, tight-fisted, bitter, stingy old skin flint. No, Duffy, not you, me. <laughs> now, where was I? Oh, yes, Godfrey. I think I shall hie me hence to bed. Mm. Very good, Sour. That's Sire. <laughs> yes, Godfrey. I've done a hard day's dirty work today. It'll feel good to crawl in between them nice, clean sheets of newspaper. <laughs> Well, good night, my man Godfrey. Good night, sire. Don't forget to blow out the twig. <laughs> yes, sire. Not so hard, you fool. That twig's got to last us all day tomorrow. Sorry, sire. <sighs> now to close one eye and get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, got a big day tomorrow. Got to sprinkle banana peels on the front steps of the old lady's home. <laughs> Get them chimes made softer. No sense in letting the neighbors hear the time for nothing. <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. Wake up. Who's calling me? Who are you? I am the spirit of Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Bah, bah, humbug. I have come to show you the suffering that your stinginess is causing. I'm going to take you to the house of the widow Scratchit. The next voice you hear will be that of the widow Scratchit herself. Oh, Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. Uh, coming, mother. <laughs> Tim, the floor is 
flies are coming in, and we haven't got enough to eat ourselves. Mommy, I am weak with hunger. I know it, my poor boy. Ain't we got nothing in the house? Even a crusted swieback? Not even a herring. Tim, land sakes, the floor is cold. Where are your shoes? Come on, son, speak up. Where are your shoes? Tim, stop picking that leather out of your teeth and tell me where are your shoes. Oh, Tim. Tim, you didn't eat them. Uh, Of course I did, Mama. I am only a little tot. My body must have nourishment. Mama, why is Ebenezer Scrooge so wicked? Oh, he isn't really wicked, son. He's just socially maladjusted. (laughs) He hates to part with a buck. Oh, yeah? Well, I still say it's wicked of him to starve a nice little boy like me to death. (laughs) Did you hear that, Ebenezer Scrooge? You have caused all this suffering with your stinginess. Spirit, you got me dead to rights. All of a sudden, I behold how low I have sank. Well, Ebenezer, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to give 50,000 pounds to Tiny Tim and Mrs. Scratchit. And the rest of my money, I will give to nothing but orphan asylums. Every one of them. From Essex to Wessex. From Wessex to Sussex. And as far north as Norsex. (laughs) And I want to thank you, Spirit of Christmas. You have lighted up the way for me. You have learned me that it is better to give. And to receive. Hello? Mrs. Duffy? Huh? Uh, he's over in the corner crying like a baby? Oh, get him over to the phone. We'll, we'll try to cheer him up. Come on, let's, let's see. sing him a song, huh? Yeah. Hello? Hello, Duffy? Huh? Well, stop crying, will you? Huh? Well, I know, and we love you, too, but Christmas ain't supposed to be sad. Duffy, cheer up. It's... it's, it's Christmas is supposed to be gay. It's holly wreaths and Santa Claus and Prancer and Dancer and Dunder and Pilsner and... <laughs> and Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells. Hey, does that make you feel better, Duffy? Huh? What a softie. He's crying harder than ever. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to leave Duffy's Tavern for this evening, but let's meet here again at this same time next Friday night. In the meantime, if you have a cold, remember Minute Rub. And for well-groomed hair, remember Vitalis. Did you know this? The Egyptians of long ago shaved themselves with seashells. Yes, and shell razors must have been mighty hard on a man's face. Of course, even today with the most modern razors, shaving can still be painful for men with tender faces. But now there's Ingram shaving cream. That rich Ingram lather helps condition your face for the razor. You enjoy cool, soothing shaves. You better try Ingram yourself. Remember, comfort means coolness. Coolness means Ingram. I-N-G-R-A-M. Ingram, the cooler shaving cream. 
Folks, when I was a teenager, I had a really big crush on Jack Benny. And I still, at 64, love Jack Benny. <laughs> and Victor's always teasing me about my dead boyfriend. But, yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, But he died in 1974, and I think it was December 26th. I know it was in December, and I just, oh, I just couldn't stand it. Because I used to, you know, the radio show or nothing didn't come on anymore, and I don't think his TV show was still coming on at that time. But I would see him occasionally on um, different shows like the Lucy Show and stuff like that. He was always, uh, he, he was always fundling in his vault his money vault um and that's the way he was on his radio shows and his tv shows he was he was a bit of a miser (laughs) and uh i read somewhere that uh in real life he was the most generous person you'd ever want to meet but um not only that he paid rochester a handsome amount every week (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, but this one is, uh, and to show you, this one will show you how tight he is in his shows. Uh, this one is called Cactus Christmas. Instead of getting a Christmas tree that year, uh, he decorates a big cactus plant. So, hope y'all enjoyed as much as I did. Here we go. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike. Lucky tastes better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky tastes better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. For lucky strike means like tobacco, richer tasting. Like tobacco. Lucky tastes better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Lucky strike. Lucky strike. This is Don Wilson. There's no doubt about it, friends. Luckies do taste better. Cleaner, fresher, smoother. Here's why. First, LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, naturally mild, good-tasting tobacco. And second, Luckies are made better, made round and firm and fully packed to draw freely and smoke evenly. Anytime you get fine tobacco in a better-made cigarette, you're bound to get better taste. Remember, smoking enjoyment is all a matter of taste, and the fact of the matter is, Luckies taste better. And here's a wonderful Christmas gift idea. A gift that says, Merry Christmas and Happy Smoking 200 times. Ten packs of those better-tasting Luckies, all dressed up for Christmas in a beautiful carton created just for Lucky Strike by the famous designer Raymond Lowy. It makes a really welcome gift for your friends and family, for anyone who enjoys a good smoke. That's why you can't go wrong when you give colorful Christmas cartons of Lucky Strike. So this year, make it a happy-go-lucky Christmas. Yes? Be happy, go lucky for Christmas gifts this year. From Palm Springs, California, the Lucky Strike Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis A. Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Tom.
gentlemen, as always at the height of the tourist season here, Palm Springs is just full of celebrities. But now I give you the celebrity the whole town is talking about because he's the only one paying summer rates. And here he is, Jack Benny! <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, I don't care if the whole town is talking about me, because in Palm Springs, talk is the only thing that's cheap. <laughs> Believe me. Huh? Yeah, I know what you mean, Jack, but I've worked out a pretty good deal where I'm staying. Where, at the Biltmore? Yeah, I get 50% off of my bill, and in return, I put in three hours a day as a lifeguard. And yesterday, I... Wait a minute, wait a minute, Don, wait a minute. You did say lifeguard. Huh? Yeah, Why? Well, it's just that I picture you more as a life rat. <laughs> With a pontoon and back. Well, you can joke all you want, but yesterday a man called for help and I dived into the pool and saved him. Really, Don? Yes, sir. And you should have heard the way they bawled me out. Bawled you out? You saved a man's life, didn't you? Yeah, but when I jumped in the pool, three people sitting on the lawn almost drowned. <laughs> And I've been telling everyone it rained yesterday. <laughs> but, Don... Oh, Jack, Jack. Yes, Bob? Say, uh... Bob Crosby, ladies and gentlemen. What, uh, what is it, Bob? Well, before we go any farther with the show, I'd like to take a roll call of the orchestra. A roll call? Of the orchestra? That's We've never right. done that before. Well, believe me, Jack, I know what I'm doing. Well, all right, if you have to. Go ahead, Bob. Okay. George. Here. Kerchief. Here. Songer. Here. Remley. Bob. Bob, I want to ask you. Bob, why... Why do you have to go through this roll call? Oh, I always do when we're out of town. But why? Why? Oh, I have to. I'm responsible to their Los Angeles parole board. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, don't let me stand in the way of the law. Hardy? Here. Hackaberry? Wait a minute. Hackaberry's one of my writers. He's on parole, too. <laughs> he keeps talking about the pen. I thought he meant paper mate. <laughs> I'm sure glad that all the boys are now if we can... Oh, hello, Mary. Oh, hello, Jack. I'm sorry I'm late, Jack, but I was taking a golf lesson at Tamarisk, and I just didn't notice the time. That's all right, Mary. So Ben Hogan gave you another lesson, eh? No, I switched to one of the other fellas. I just wasn't getting any place with Hogan. You weren't getting any place with Ben Hogan? What was wrong? I find out he's married. <laughs> well, look, Mary, you don't have to make any dates here in Palm Springs. If you want to go out with someone, I'm here. Oh, no, Jack. Not with you. What? Your idea of an exciting time here is to walk down Palm Canyon Drive and watch people put nickels in the parking meters. <laughs> yeah. Saturday was a dilly. <laughs> $163.45. Let's get on with the show, because tonight we're... Uh-oh. What's the matter? Here comes Dennett. 
Well, what about it? You know, Mary, every time that kid opens his mouth, he says something silly, and I'm aggravated for the rest of the week. But this time, he's not getting away with it. I'm ready for him. Well, hello, everybody. Hello, hello Mr. Benny. Boy, two weeks in Palm Springs has sure made you look different. You see, Mary, he's starting already. <laughs> I'm sorry I haven't been able to see more of you up here, but I've been very busy. Busy, huh? What have you been doing? Oh, swimming a little every day, getting lots of sleep, eating good food, and catching up on my reading. You're reading, huh? Yeah, it's nice and quiet up here, and I can concentrate. Hamlet requires a lot of attention. Hamlet, huh? I consider Hamlet. it to be Shakespeare's finest work. Although I'd be the first to admit there are great qualities in Macbeth, Julius Caesar, and Othello. But to my way of thinking, Hamlet offers more scope and penetrates with a deeper insight into human nature. That's enough, Dennis. I won't listen to that kind of talk. But, Jack... I don't care. I'm on a vacation. I'm not going to let him aggravate me. But, Jack, he hasn't said anything silly. I know, and he's doing it on purpose. (laughs) Dennis, you're deliberately trying to annoy me. Oh, no, I'm not, Mr. Benny. Then how come you're talking intelligently? I can't help it. I was out in the sun too long. (laughs) Huh? But I discovered a way to keep cool. You did? Yeah, I get a big punch bowl, fill it full of shaved ice, put in three lemons, two oranges, some ginger ale, a quart of scotch, a bottle of Smirnoff vodka, and five maraschino cherries. Dennis, you drink that? No, I sit in them. My boy, and Dennis, now that you're back to normal again, do me a favor. Just go over in the corner and don't bother me. Okay. Do you mind if I read Hamlet? Read, read. What a crazy kid. (laughs) Well, Jack, you won't have to put up with it much longer. Tomorrow we'll all be on our way back to Los Angeles. I know, and I've got a big surprise for everyone. Since you're all leaving tomorrow and I'm going to be staying down here till after Christmas... I want you all to come to my place tonight for our annual Christmas party. Oh, that's wonderful, Jack. Everybody's invited. And, Bob, make sure to bring the orchestra boys. The orchestra boys? Yeah. But tell them when we serve dinner to just casually walk into the dining room. Not to line up and march. (laughs) Okay, Jack, I'll tell them. But, gee, you better serve them the food right away or they'll start banging their cups on the table. (laughs) I'll serve them. I'll serve them. And listen, kids, I got a nice big house that I rented. There's plenty of room. We'll have a tree, exchange gifts, and have a lot of fun. Well, Jack, I don't know if I'll be there. Why not, Bob? Well, it's just that being so close to Christmas, I'm kind of anxious to get back to L.A. and be with my wife and children. Well, Bob, if you miss them so much, why didn't you bring your family up here for Christmas? Oh, no, I did that last year. Never again. Why? What's the matter with spending Christmas in Palm Springs? Well, it's different, Jack, and the kids just didn't go for it. Why not? Well, to start with... I made a pretty silly-looking Santa Claus dressed in that red hat, sunglasses, sandals, and shorts. <laughs> and then to top it off, the next day we all sat around singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, while we slapped Ungantine on each other. <laughs> well, look. Bob. You can come to my party and still get home in time. Now, look, kids, I'm going to leave right now and help Rochester get things ready. Don, you take over the show, will you? All right, Jack. Shall we do the commercial now? Yes, Don, that'll be fine. What have the Sportsman Quartet prepared? Oh, something very appropriate for this time of year. It's called Winter Wonderland. Winter Wonderland? Mm-hmm. Well, that song is all about snow and sleigh bells. That doesn't fit Palm Springs. Don't worry about it, Jack. We've got it fixed, all right. Okay, go ahead. See you later, kid. All right, fellas, take it. <laughs> 
Santa needs a nickel here if he wants to park his sleigh. <laughs> yum, bum, bum, da dum, dum, dum. Oh, pardon me, sir. That's quite so. Mr. Benny! Why, Mr. Tinsel! Well, Mr. Kitzel, this is a surprise. I didn't know you were here in Palm Springs. Oh, yes. I'm here already the last few days. Well, isn't that nice? Where are you staying? A place called Harry's Hacienda. <laughs> Harry's Hacienda. I've never heard of that. Nationally advertised, it isn't. Oh. <laughs> well, if, if it isn't much of a place, I mean, why do you stay there? Where else for $7 a day can you get room, board, and a desk full of picture postcards from the El Mirador? <laughs> Well, tell me, do they have a swimming pool? Finally, I found it. You mean the, you mean the swimming pool is that small? Small. This morning I had breakfast and the hole in my bagel was bigger. <laughs> well, what's the difference as long as you're having fun? Say, Mr. Kitzel, I'm having my cast over this evening for a little get-together. How would you and your wife like to join us? Didn't care, but I'm afraid we couldn't make it. My wife is still upset from the steak ride last night. Oh, your wife was on a steak ride. Yeah. What happened? It took eight men to put her on the horse. Oh, Mr. Kitzel, you must be joking. Your wife's not that heavy. Me, you could convince, but the horse, you can. <laughs> you mean, uh... The next time that horse runs, it'll be from a bottle of glue. <laughs> Well, Mr. Kitzel, I'd like to talk to you longer, but I have to get home to help Rochester. Go right ahead, Mr. Benny, and enjoy yourself. Thank you. So long. Goodbye. Oh, say, uh, Mr. Benny. Yes, Mr. Kitzel. Tomorrow, if you've got a little time, why don't you come over and visit me and my wife? Well, I'll be glad to. How do I get to Harry's Hacienda? From here, you go straight down Palm Canyon Drive for five blocks till you come to the Park Lane Hotel. Uh-huh. Then you turn left and follow the sign that says to Harris Hacienda for two miles. Two miles? But look, that'll take me way up in the mountain. That's right. Harry is a goat. <laughs> a goat? Yes. Mr. Kitzel, you're joking. Smell me. <laughs> what? Goodbye, Mr. Kitzel, and Merry Christmas. And a happy Yule to you all. <laughs> jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. La, 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 da, dum, bum, bum. It'll be fun being in Palm Springs for Christmas. Rochester, hand me some more tinsel for the tree, will you? Here you are, Mr. Benning. Yeah, I'm sure glad I decided to rent this house for Mr. and Mrs. Martin. It'll be just perfect for the party tonight. Yeah. Well, all the tinsel is on. I think I'll put on the ornaments. I'll put this nice red one up. Ouch! See, I'll put the blue one over here and then... Ouch! 
And I'll put the green one up on top. There. Ouch! Oh, darn it. Boss, I told you to get a Christmas tree instead of this cactus plant. <laughs> Rochester. Rochester, I'm not going out and buy a Christmas tree when I have a perfectly good one at home. I want to put these gifts under it. Let's see. Here's Don. Some nice dates. And this one's for Mary. Oh, and Rochester, here's the one I'm giving Remley. Boy, will he be surprised. How will he be surprised? You got shaving lotion written all over the package. Well, you have to do that with Remley. When he opens a box and finds a bottle, he never stops to read the label. <laughs> Last year, last year, I gave him a miniature ship and a bottle. The mask stuck out of his mouth for three months. <laughs> Every time I asked him something, he had to answer me through the crow's nest. <laughs> Believe me, I know what I'm doing. All right, that must be the gang. You let him in, and I'll, I'll go out in the kitchen and get the hors d'oeuvres. Okay. Well, hello, Come on, Come in, everybody. Mr. Barry's in the kitchen. He'll be right out. Make yourselves at home. Hey, Jack's got a nice place here. Yeah, but it's so cluttered up. Rochester, help me clean it up. I'll throw some of this stuff out. Not that, not that. That's the Christmas tree. Christmas tree? Hey, that's nothing but an old cactus plant. Oh, we would have had a tumbleweed, but the wind was blowing and we lost it coming through in the <laughs> Wait a minute. Look at that television set. It's got a coin box attached to it with a slot to put money in. Well, that's something they're trying out here. It's pay-as-you-see television. And Palm Springs is the only place where they're conducting this experiment. Jack has the same attachment on his set in Beverly Hills, and it's no experiment. <laughs> well, everybody here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Well, kids, I'm glad you're all here. We'll have a nice... Oh, there's the phone. I'll get it, boss. Thanks, Rochester. And, Don, would you mind walking around with this big tray of hors d'oeuvres? But, Jack, uh, it'd be easier if I just sat down and ate them. They're for everybody. (laughs) Say, Jack, this is a very nice place. I had no idea it was so large. Oh, yes, there's a kitchen, dinette, living room, two bedrooms, and a patio. You know, Mary, when you're a big star, you've got to have plenty of room to entertain. Yeah. I just can't understand how you got all this for $85 a month. What's the difference? I got it. Now, come on, everybody. Let's put all the presents under the tree and... Hey, wait a minute. What's the matter? I had 12 candy canes, and now there are only 11. Where's the other one? Don't look at me. I'm not looking at you, but if your conscience bothers you, they're 10 cents each. <laughs> oh, don't be so silly. Say, boss. Yeah, Rochester. Who was that on the phone? That was Mr. Coleman calling from Beverly Hills. Oh, Ronald Coleman? Yes, sir. He wanted to know if you'd be back in town for Christmas. I told him that you couldn't possibly make it. You were staying in Palm Springs. Gee, that was nice of Ronnie to call. Is he planning a Christmas party? Now, yes. <laughs> huh? He said he'd check with me later about New Year's. <laughs> all right, all right. Hey, gang, why don't we open up our Christmas presents? No, no, it's too early. Everyone can take their gifts, but let's not open them until Christmas. Gee, I'm embarrassed, Mr. Benny. I got you a gift, but I left it at my hotel room. Oh, that's all right, Dennis. You didn't have to bother getting me anything anyway. Well, truthfully, I didn't know what to get you. You have practically everything, but I went all over Palm Springs and I finally found something. Really? What'd you get me, Dennis? A Gila monster. (laughs) A Gila monster? Yeah, the man only charged me $3 for it. 
Dennis, a Gila monster is a deadly, poisonous, and vicious reptile. Why, it could snap a man's arm off. No wonder it took him so long to wrap the package. <laughs> Dennis, if that poisonous thing is in your room, you better call your hotel right now and warn them. Yeah, I guess I better. Hey, come on, kids, let's have some fun. Let's get this party rolling. Yeah, huh? let's play some games. Okay, but first I want to show you something, Mary. Me? Yeah, come on out in the hall for a second. All right. Well, here we are. Look up, Mary. Why, Jack, it's mistletoe. That's right. And that means that I, I get to kiss you. Oh, Jack. Now, come on, Mary. Give me a kiss. Now, pucker up. All right. There. I knew it. You ate the candy cane. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You were getting romantic. Romantic, smanty. Your crime must be solved. <laughs> All right, let, let's get back to the party. <laughs> Mary, what was going on out there in the hall? Ask Boston Blackie. <laughs> Never mind. Hey, Dennis. Dennis, did you call your hotel about that Gila monster? Yeah. What did they say? Nothing. The phone keeps ringing and ringing, but nobody answers. <laughs> What? Do you mind if I stay here tonight? Oh. Now, come on. Let's get things started here. Bob, how about having the band play a number? Well, you? certainly, Jack. What would you like to have them play? Oh, you mean I have a choice? Sure. <laughs> Ramona, the pagan love song, or stay on the light side with East Side? Well, well, never mind the band. Let's all sing jingles. Yeah, yeah. Let's all sing, huh? <laughs> What's that noise? Remley wants to go home. <laughs> Remley, put down that hacksaw and use the door. <laughs> what a gang. Now, come on, kid. Let's sing Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse one sleigh. Quiet now! Hold it! Hold it! Hold it! <laughs> What's going on here? Hold it, kid. It's the owner. What's the matter, Mr. Martin? I'll tell you what's the matter. I'm not going to stand for noisy parties like this going on in my house. Now, wait a second, Mr. Martin. So what if we are making a little noise? You're forgetting I'm paying you $85 a month to rent this house. Whoever dreamed you'd be throwing wild parties? When you came to me, you looked like a nice, quiet old man. <laughs> but look... Now I find out you're a Hollywood playboy. Look, Mr. Martin... And what are those convicts doing here? <laughs> Those are my musicians. Fellas, this is a party. Stop making those license plates. <laughs> For heaven's sake. They're not well, at home unless they're in jail. I guess we were a little loud, Mr. Martin, but we didn't know you were here. We were only having a little Christmas party. Uh, a Christmas party? Yes, if you prefer, we can leave. Well, we didn't even get to sing the Christmas carols. Christmas carols. Yes, we, we always sing Christmas carols. Gee, I'd love to hear that. But well, why don't you and your wife join us? You really mean that, Mr. Bunny? Certainly, the more the merrier. Gee, thanks. I'll go get my wife and we'll join you in a party. Now, Dennis... Yeah, go get her. Dennis, every year at my Christmas party, you always sing a nice medley of Christmas carols. Yes, sir. Well, how about singing them first now? I'd be glad to. Quiet, everybody. Dennis is going to sing. Dennis. 
Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of my sponsor and my entire staff, I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Transcribed. Stay tuned for Amos and Andy, who follow immediately on the CBS Radio Network. Folks, I thought I would treat y'all to another Jack Benny episode. I just couldn't resist. I was afraid he'd come back and haunt me if I didn't. You just uh, can't get over that crush, can no, you? No, 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 no. Uh, but this one is actually, neither one of these are the, were really the one that I wanted to get for you. Uh, I was, I was having to hurry and try to get, put these shows together and I didn't find the one that I wanted. Uh, the one that I wanted for you was, uh, one about him doing Christmas shopping. And, uh, you know how they have floor walkers in these stores. That's what they called them back then. Uh, I, I haven't heard them. I don't know what they call them now. But, you know, the person that uh, offers to help you in the store. Uh, oh, they're called associates at Walmart. Oh, yes. Um, and um, so, but he just, the floor walker dreads seeing him come in every year. Because he'll get something and he'll tell them how to fix the card in it and how he wants it wrapped and everything. And uh, then he'll come back an hour or two later, a few minutes later, after it's all done and change his mind and he wants it another way. And that guy just wants to kill him and I don't blame him. I think I'd have me a hammer there and that first time he opened his mouth, I'd smack him with it. But uh, this one is called The Day After Christmas, and it's it's a good one, too. It's just not it, – that, that other one is so crazy. I just, I, I just wanted it for you. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike, the cigarette that's toasted to taste better. If you want better taste from your cigarette, Lucky Strike is the brand you get. Friends, this is Don Wilson. If you're not getting all the enjoyment you should be getting from your present cigarette, switch to Lucky Strike and see for yourself how much more real deep-down smoking enjoyment you get from Lucky's better taste. A Lucky tastes better because it's the cigarette of fine tobacco and it's toasted to taste better. It's toasted is the famous Lucky Strike process that tones up Lucky's fine, naturally good-tasting tobacco to make it taste even better, cleaner, fresher, smoother. Yes, find out for yourself. Buy a carton of better-tasting Lucky Strike. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis A. Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight Jack Benny does another television show, but right now it's radio time. So let's go out to Jack's house in Beverly Hills. As we look in, Rochester, with the help of his best friend Roy, is cleaning up the house after Christmas. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. <laughs> oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. <laughs> now, now, Roy, 
if you'll get up all the wrapping paper, I'll pick up the ribbons and twine. Okay. Say, Rochester, I noticed that a lot of these boxes that Mr. Bennett's gifts came in still have the price tag on them. Oh, those? Those are gifts from the people who work for him. Why do they leave the price tags on them? It saves about six months of arguments. <laughs> Now, here's a box that hasn't been opened yet. I know a lot of people haven't come by to pick up their presents. I'll uh, put it in the pile behind the tree. Okay. Uh, careful, you don't tip it. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, say, Rochester, what's that little package lying on top of the pile? Let's see. Oh, that's Mr. Frank Remley's gift. And uh, what's the big package on the bottom? That's Mr. Remley. <laughs> Why is he gift wrapped? He keeps better that way. Say, <laughs> Rochester, what did Mr. Bennett get from his neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman? Uh, they gave him that chair over there in the corner. Gee, that doesn't look like much of a gift. The chair looks so dull and drab. I know, but it gets mighty lively when you plug it in. <laughs> Rochester, you're kidding, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I thought so. Say, Ross, next week is New Year's Eve. You got any plans? Yeah, I got a date with Susie. Say, that reminds me. Susie spoke to me about you the other night. She did? Yeah. She says that you two have been going together so long, she's kind of disappointed that you haven't proposed to her yet. Well, Roy, I thought about it a lot, and... Well, I've been with Mr. Benny so long, I'm a confirmed bachelor. I've picked up too many of his ways. Yeah, but you ought to think about getting married. You know, you're not getting any younger. I'm not getting any older either. That's something else I picked up from Mr. Benny. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Mr. Benny keeps rolling along like old man River. Say, how old is he really, Rochester? That's something I'll never tell anyone. Well, I know he's not 39. Uh, can't you at least give me a hint about how old he is? Well, all I'll say is, if they do his story on This Is Your Life, it'll have to be an hour program. Man, what a spectacular that'll make with Indians and everything. <laughs> Good morning, Rochester. Oh, good morning, boy. And Merry Christmas, Roy. Merry Christmas to you, too, Mr. Benny. Uh, would you like some breakfast, boss? No, it's so late and I'm quite hungry. What can you fix me for lunch? Well, I can get you some sliced turkey, cranberry sauce, candied sweet potatoes, turkey, dressing, and gravy. Is that what's left over from Christmas dinner? That's what's left over from Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, do you want me to answer the door, Mr. Benny? No, Roy, I'll go. You help Rochester. Ding dong bell, da dum bum bum dum dum dee dee dee. Merry Christmas, Mr. Benny. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Well, Joey and Stevie, my little beavers. Merry Christmas, boys. Mr. Benny, it is our pleasure, as the duly selected representatives of the Beverly Hills Beavers Club, to come here and present you with a gift for which we all took in and bought you as a token of our esteem. Oh, boys, this is very touching. Of all the many nice things that happened to me this Christmas, this is the nicest. Come on in while I open it. Oh, gee, a pair of hairbrushes. 
Olga. Isn't that nice? I thought it was stupid, but they voted against me. <laughs> well, boys, come on in the next room. I have a gift for all the beavers. Gee, thanks. Oh, That's well. By the way, Mr. Benny, don't forget you promised to come over to the Beaver's annual party. We're giving this Friday night. Oh, I'll be there. You know, this year we're going to have girls, and we're going to dance with them and play spin the bottle in post office. Yeah, I bet you can hardly wait. Yeah, I want to see what's so great about it. <laughs> you'll see, you'll see. <laughs> A present from me to the beavers. Gosh, a printing press. And what a big one. Boy, the beavers will love this present, because now we can print our own newspaper and bulletins and circulars. Yeah, and maybe next year we'll even be able to make Christmas cards. Hmm, first Hallmark, now them. <laughs> oh, well, Merry Christmas, boys. Merry, Merry Christmas, Miss Betty. Goodbye. Oh, by the way, Mr. Benny, at our last meeting, we decided to raise the views next year to ten cents a week. Ten cents a week? I thought it was stupid, but they voted against me. <laughs> well, I'm going to use my veto. <laughs> Goodbye, kids. Goodbye. Say, boss, what's this Christmas package doing up on the panel? It has no name on it. Let me see it. Oh, my goodness, I forgot to deliver it. I better do that right now. Who's it for? Ed, the man who guards my vault. I'll take it to him right now. I'm going down to my vault, Rochester, and I'll be right back if there are any calls for me. out across the bridge over the moat. <laughs> Gosh, look at those alligators. They make wonderful guards. Especially this one right under the bridge. Hey, what's that swimming behind her? Oh, my goodness, I must call Luella Parsons. She's had a blessed event. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I've got to get into my vault.
Oh, who goes there? Friend or foe? Friend. What's the password? Cleaner, fresher, smoother. <laughs> oh, it's you, Mr. Benny. Yes, it's me, Ed. How nice. Did you come to put some money in the vault or to take some out? Neither, Ed. This is a social visit. It's Christmas. Christmas? Yes, yes. And next week, it'll be New Year's. Gosh, another year has gone by already. That's right, Ed. It'll soon be 1955. Nineteen? <laughs> yes. Yes, Ed. Now, I just came down to give you your Christmas present. My, this is exciting. May I open it? I wish you would. <laughs> Oh, gosh, just what I've always wanted. An umbrella. <laughs> yes, it'll come in handy in case a pipe ever breaks. <laughs> well, I gotta get back, Ed. See you soon. Goodbye. <coughs> Gee, that Ed is always so nice and pleasant. Never complains or anything. I think the next time I come down, I'll lengthen his chain. <laughs> oh, Rochester, were there any calls for me? No, but while you were down in the vault, Malin Merrick, your musical arranger, came in. He's waiting for you in the den. Oh, oh, I'll see what he wants. Oh, hello, Malin. Merry Christmas, Jack. Same to you. Jack, the reason I came over is your producer suggested that we do this tune on the show this week, and I wanted to see if you'd like it. Let me see the music. Hmm. Well, it's topical. What do you think? I'm not sure. Hum it to me. Da da dum, da da dum, da dum ding da dum. <laughs> you know, Malin, you'd save yourself a lot of trips over here if you'd learn to read music. <laughs> Believe me. Well, I would, but I don't want the boys in the band to think I've gone high hat. Well, that reminds me, Mabel. I wish you'd tell the boys that from now on, whenever we do a broadcast, not to bring their friends and have them sit up there with them on the bandstand. Oh, they're not friends. They're parole officers. <laughs> That's what I mean. See if you can do something about it, will you? Excuse me, Mabel. I have to answer the door. Jingle bells, um, something, um, Merry Christmas, Jack. Uh, Merry Christmas, John. Come on in. Oh, Merry Christmas, Malin. Same to you, Don. Did you get a lot of presents this year? I'll say, I got the greatest collection of wild pies and gaudy sports shirts you've ever seen. <laughs> I shall be busy all next week exchanging gifts. Me too. People certainly send you silly things, don't they? Yeah. They know you very well, like my wife. She's the one person who gave me a useful gift. What'd she give you? A side of beef. <laughs> no. Yes. Don, a whole side of beef? Were you able to get it in your freezer? I don't have a freezer, so I made a sandwich. <laughs> your front lawn must look like an elephant's graveyard. <laughs> oh, say, Jack, yeah. uh, here, I brought this over for you. It's a record of a song by Dennis Day. A record? Yeah, I dropped by his house, and he has a cold, and he asked me to bring this over so you could hear it. Gee, I, I hope he feels all right. Oh, you'll be okay. Well, let's hear the song. Put it on the phonograph, Don. Okay. 
medicine cold is worse than I thought. Don, Don, you forgot to wind it up. Now go ahead. Okay. Better, I got a new one. three of us go over and visit Dennis and cheer him up. Huh? I'd love to, but I've got work to do. I'm just over there, Jack, but I'll walk part of the way back with you. It's on my way home. Okay. I... Shall I answer the phone, boss? No, I'll get it. You just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, I'm resting. <laughs> hmm. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. This is Gertrude, the CBS telephone operator. <laughs> oh, is someone trying to reach me around the studio? Yeah. Business. I call to thank you for the lovely Christmas present you gave me. It was very original. Well, I knew you had earrings and bracelets and beads and a lot of jewelry. So you gave me a jar to keep them in. <laughs> yeah, but first eat the mayonnaise. It's delicious. <laughs> It's the sentiment behind it. That's why Mabel and I like you. You treat us like human beings. Most people aren't nice to us at all. Oh, now, wait a minute, Gertrude. You don't go talking like that. No wonder you and Mabel have inferiority complexes. We haven't any complexes. We are inferior. Merry Christmas to you, too, Gertrude. Okay, Don, let's go. Hey, where's Malin? He went out while you were talking on the phone. Oh, well, Rochester, I'll be back in time for dinner. 
Mr. Benny. Huh? Did you forget to thank Mr. Wilson for the gift he gave you? Oh, I'm glad you reminded me. Don, I want to thank you for that lovely sunbeam toaster you gave me. You're welcome, Jack. I was wondering if you needed one. Need one? Before we got that, we used to toast our bread with genuine sunbeams. <laughs> Never mind. Come on, Don. I'll be back in time for dinner, Rochester. Ah, it's such a nice day for this time of year. It certainly is. And I love to walk. Especially on a sunny day, you know? Oh, Jack, look at that beautiful bird on your lawn. Ah, oh, look, he's hopping over to us. Come on, Bertie. Come here. What's that, Bertie? Well, what do you know? He said L-S-M-F-T. <laughs> Hi, Bertie. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. Say, you're a smart bird. <laughs> I'll be darned. Hey, hey, wait, wait a minute, Jack. Wait a minute. I want to try something. Bertie, listen to this. If you want better taste from your cigarette, Lucky Strike is the brand to get. It's toasted to give you the best taste yet. It's the toasted. Cigarette. Oh, this is amazing. Look, he's flying away. You think he'll come back again? Only if he needs work. <laughs> That's the only bird I've ever seen with a mustache. <laughs> well, I'd better hurry over to Dennis Day's house. Mother. <laughs> Gee, Mother, I wish I could get rid of this cold. Well, if you'd only take this medicine, son, it would help you a lot. But I don't like that medicine. Are you sure it's good? Certainly. When I was a working girl, I always used to take it. Did you have a lot of colds then? All the time. I guess that was on account of where you worked. That's right. The only time I ever got any fresh air and sunshine was when John L. Lewis called a strike. <laughs> Mother, I, I don't feel like taking that medicine because, because. <laughs> Dennis, let me feel your head and see if you have any temperature. Do I have any? Well, it is a little warm around the point. <laughs> I'll probably be up in a day or so. Son, shall I get you another hot water bottle? No, thanks. I already drank three of them, and I don't feel any better. <laughs> supposed to put them on your feet. Now she tells me. <laughs> oh, there's someone at the door. Oh, hello, Mrs. Day. Merry Christmas. What do you want? <laughs> well, I, I've come to cheer Dennis up. You couldn't cheer up a laughing hyena. <laughs> well, for your information, Mrs. Day, a laughing hyena doesn't really laugh. What sounds like laughter is just a peculiarity of the hyena's vocal cords. Well, it takes one to know one. <laughs> Look, Mrs. Day, I didn't come over here to... Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. I'm in the bedroom. <laughs> hello, Dennis. How'd you get your cold? Oh, last night I went out all over town singing Christmas carols. <laughs> 
See, Dennis, it's awfully stuffy in here. Shall I open a window? You can't. I nailed them all shut because I walk in my sleep. I didn't know that. Yeah. One night last week, I walked all over town. I finally wound up in the Brown Derby. Boy, was I embarrassed. Well, I should imagine with all those people there and you in your pajamas. Who wears pajamas? Gosh, that must have been awful. Yeah, Gus, the manager threw me out because I didn't have a tie on. <laughs> oh, well, I don't blame him. Here, Dennis, I brought you some soup. Mrs. Day, that's a hot water bottle. He likes it that way. <laughs> well, I'd better be going. Goodbye, Dennis. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. Oh, by the way, Dennis. You haven't thanked me yet for the Christmas present I gave you. You call that a Christmas gift? Look, Mrs. My Day. Dennis has been with you over 15 years. And after all that time, you gave him a ticket for a lousy 89-cent car award. <laughs> well, tell him to use it on Saturday. It's a dollar and a quarter there. <laughs> anyway, it's not the gift that counts. It's the sentiment behind it. Unless you know about sentiment. You wouldn't give Arthur Godfrey a tea bag if he was stranded on the Mojave Desert with a cup of hot water. Now, just a minute, Mrs. Day. You listen to me. I, I'm a... not listening to anybody. One more word out of you, and I'll put black circles around those baby blue eyes of yours. Oh, you will, eh? Hit him, Mom. <laughs> television set is broken, and I haven't seen a good fight in weeks. Well, I settled it. I came over here out of the goodness of my heart. I wanted to cheer up Dennis because the poor kid is sick, and all I get out of it is insult. How? Right in a kisser. I'm very fond of Dennis, Mrs. Day, and I've been very good to him all these years, and you should be the last one. Ah! Cut up! <laughs> that settles it. I'm going home. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Jack will be back in a minute to tell you about his television program, which goes on at 7 p.m. tonight over the CBS television network. But first, here's a word for anyone who enjoys a good cigarette. If you want better taste from your cigarette, Lucky Strike is the brand you get. It's toasted to give you the best taste. Yes, it's the toasted. Cigarettes, they taste fine. Tobacco is light. Tobacco is mild. Tobacco is too. And it's toasted. Yes, it's toasted. Because the toasting brings your flavor right through. So to get better taste from your cigarette, Lucky Strike is the brand to get. It's toasted to give you the best taste. Yes, it's the toasted. Cigarette. I guess everybody knows Robert Montgomery was, for years, a famous movie star, and now he's a star in television. Matter of fact, his TV show is sponsored by Lucky Strike. He told folks that he didn't have to smoke Luckies for that reason, but he does anyway. Let me give you his own words on the subject. I smoke Luckies and have for years. I like the way they taste. Yep, those are Robert Montgomery's own words, and they sure make a lot of sense. Luckies do taste better. They taste better because L.S. M.F.T. 
Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. And then that fine tobacco is toasted. Yes, it's toasted to taste better. It's toasted. The famous Lucky Strike process tones up Lucky's naturally mild, good-tasting tobacco to make it taste even better, cleaner, fresher, smoother. So the very next time you buy cigarettes, friends, be happy. Go Lucky. Make your next garden Lucky Strike. Remember, it's toasted to taste better. Who's there? It's me, Rochester. How's Thursday? Oh, he's all right. Want me to get you something to eat? No, I don't feel hungry. Gosh, I don't know what to do. I think I'll just sit here and watch television. Turn it on, will you please? Okay. From Television City in Hollywood, the Jack Benny program presented by Lucky Strike. Oh, my goodness, that's me. I'm supposed to be on TV in a few seconds. So long, Rochester. Yeah, I don't want to miss any of my show. I'm going to be so good tonight. See you in a minute, folks. The Jack Benny Show tonight was written by Milt Josephsberg, John Packerberry, Hal Goldman, Al Gordon, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. Filter smokers, true tobacco taste, Real filtration, famous Tariton quality. They're all yours when you smoke Filter Tip Tariton. Filter Tip Tariton gives you all the full, rich taste of Tariton's quality tobacco and real filtration, too. Because Filter Tip Tariton incorporates activated charcoal, renowned for its unusual powers of selective filtration. Look for the red, white, and blue stripes on the package. They identify Filter Tip Tariton, the best in filtered smoking. The Jack Benny program is brought to you by the American Tobacco Company, America's leading manufacturer of cigarettes. playing her um you know if you hadn't seen it she she plays a uh an english teacher in a high school and um uh she's got a crush on mr boynton who is one of her fellow teachers and she's always having trouble with mr conklin the principal who's played by gail gordon <laughs> and uh i think that guy can play anything he is the one who played Mr. Wilson after Mr. Wilson left on Dennis the Menace, after he died, I should say, because he didn't leave, he died. And uh, so then Mr. Miguel Gordon played his uh, brother, John, who bought Is Eve Arden related to Liz Arden? I don't know. I don't, I don't know who that is. Oh, big, um, she's a big cosmetics, uh, Oh, that one. Uh, guess she, she might be, but I don't, I don't know. Well, hold on. Is it Liz or Grace? I can't remember if it's Liz or Grace Arden. 
Uh, huh. There's Liz. There's Liz Taylor had a collection. Right, but I know there's and there's, there's an Arden that had a collection. I want to think that's Eve Arden. No, that's. No, I don't think Eve Arden ever got into fashion. No, me either. I think it was Liz or Grace Arden. Might be Grace, cause um, but I know Liz Taylor had one. Uh huh. Um. The name of the show is Exchanging Christmas Gifts. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. <laughs> it's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks written by Al Lewis. Well, it's always pleasant to welcome back a friend who's been away. That's why our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, was happy to be on her way to school a bit earlier than usual last Friday morning. Yes, last Friday, Mr. Boynton was due back from a biologist convention, which had lasted for three weeks. I had heard from him during his absence, of course. In fact, he sent me one passionate postcard after another. Two altogether. LAUGHTER but shy or not, a man is a man. Or as the French would say, c'est la vie, c'est l'amour, which means a man is a man. <laughs> That's why I had Walter Denton pick me up so early last Friday. I hope we get to school before Mr. Boynton does, Walter. Oh, we will, Miss Brooks. This little old buggy will have you down to school in nothing flat. I'll settle for with nothing flat. <laughs> It'll feel rather strange seeing Mr. Boynton again. I wonder how he'll seem to me after being away so long. Oh, he probably hasn't changed any. Just a big, tall, dark-haired, good-looking guy with a sparkling smile and a throbbing voice. Yeah, who needs him? <laughs> he sure is attractive to girls. If it wasn't for the fact that she's so daffy in love with me, even Harriet Conklin would go for him. Harriet? But she's only a young girl. Is there an age limit? <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> and I took Harriet to the movies last night. We saw Humphrey Bogart to Tokyo Joe. And after the picture, we both got the same thought at the same time. How much Mr. Boynton reminded us of Bogey. Mr. Boynton reminded you of Bogey? Well, sure, Miss Brooks. You see, in the picture, Bogey goes back to Japan after the war and finds out that the wife whom he thought was dead isn't. And boy, what he goes through to get that wife back. And that's what made us think of Mr. Boynton. What? He goes through almost as much not to get a wife. <laughs> Present company included. But I must admit I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Me too. In fact, I'm bringing him a little gift this morning. It was Harriet Conklin's idea. We were having lunch yesterday in the school cafeteria, and she suggested that we all show him how glad we are he's home in a concrete way. What are you getting him, a building? No, no, we're all getting something different. Miss Enright happened to be at the table when Harriet mentioned it, and she got all excited about the idea. She would. Oh, I forgot. You're not overly fond of Miss Enright, are you? I've got nothing against her, Walter. She's a very good English teacher. She speaks very highly of you, Miss Brooks. In fact, just yesterday, she paid you a very nice compliment. Miss Enright did? Sure. She said you put even more effort into teaching than the job needed. And then she said she thought it was a miracle, considering how monotonous your existence is, that you don't look even grimmer than you do. 
And to think, she never used to like me. <laughs> of course, she does consider you quite a rival for Mr. Boynton's affections. That's why she'll probably get him some real expensive gift. Her parents are quite wealthy, you know. Yes, I know they are, but mine aren't. So as much as I'd like to get Mr. Boynton a little welcome home present, I'm afraid it's out of the question. Although I suppose I could cut off all my hair and sell it for enough money to buy him a nice watch chain. No, he's probably pawned his watch to get me a new comb. Say, <laughs> that'd make a swell short story, Miss Brooks. Thanks. I'll submit it to old Henry in the morning. Here's what I'm giving, Mr. Boynton. It's right in this paper bag. Want to take a look at it? All right, Walter. Oh, it's a tie. Wow. Pretty loud, isn't it? It's a very original design, Miss Brooks. Tell me, what does it look like to you? Let's see. Well, to me, it looks like a big yellow tree on a cliff by the ocean with a purple owl on top of it playing a bugle. <laughs> That's exactly right, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Stretch Snodgrass gave it to me last Christmas. You see, I'm broke, too, and since I never had the gut... The courage to wear it. <laughs> See, I figured I might as well give it to Mr. Boynton. Gosh, I hope he has the good, the courage to wear it. Well, it is a fairly grotesque little number, Walter, but after all, it isn't the gift itself which matters. It's the spirit with which you foisted on someone. <laughs> Here's the biology lab, Miss Brooks. Shall we go in and welcome back our hero together? If our hero has arrived, it might be a nice idea, but first I... Look, look who just came out of the lab, Miss Enright. Good morning, Walter. Hi, Miss Enright. And dear Miss Brooks, I hate to be the bearer of such evil tidings, but your quarry hasn't been sighted yet. My quarry? You were here when I arrived, remember? Well, I just wanted to leave a little welcome home gift to Mr. Boynton. I assure you I haven't spent two seconds hanging around this door. Oh, I'm sure you haven't, Miss Enright, but tell me one thing. Did you sleep with your paws over the threshold or under the threshold? <laughs> Excuse me, ladies, but I'm going to leave my little gift on Mr. Boynton's desk, too. Well, Miss Brooks... I suppose you're waiting to deliver your humble little offering to Mr. Boynton in person. No, Miss Enright, to be perfectly honest with you. Please, Miss Brooks, it's a little early in the morning for fantasy. <laughs> but even if you were going to tell me that you haven't bought anything for Mr. Boynton, I assure you that your method of spreading the welcome mat is very effective. What do you mean? Well, you're wearing it, aren't you? Uh, really, I don't mean to criticize your get-up, my dear I realize that on a teacher's salary, dressing well takes more than good taste Even if you had any <laughs> I don't have to depend on my earnings to get along Mama and Papa have always been extremely well off They didn't know how well off till you were born <laughs> well, I'd better be on my way. I can't afford to engage in a common hair-pulling contest. Not when you get your hair at I.J. Fox, you can. <laughs> now, see here, Miss Enright, let's... Well, I left my present on one of the lab tables so he doesn't miss it. Gee, that's a pretty big box you left on his desk, Miss Enright. What's in it? It's an imported suede jacket, Walter. And if you'll excuse me now, Miss Brooks... I'll let my gift make my welcome speech for me. I'm going to freshen up a bit. If I were you, darling, I'd do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
If I were you, so would I. <laughs> well, this is great. All I've got for Mr. Boynton's homecoming is a big, fat, empty handshake. Don't you believe it, Miss Brooks. I wouldn't let you be caught in a predicament like that. That's why I made out a card saying, to Philip Boynton from Constance Brooks, and put it in the bag with that tie I got from Stretch Snodgrass. That tie? Well, it was very considerate of you, Walter, but alongside of Miss Enright's jacket, that tie is bound to suffer. In fact, it looks like it's suffering by itself. <laughs> well, I did think of that, Miss Brooks. I'm sorry, Walter. I just can't accept your favor. Yeah, but Miss Brooks... I'm sorry. I've got to hurry into the lab and get that tie before Mr. Boynton lays eyes on it. I'd be embarrassed to death if he thought oh, that hello, I... Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. You're looking for me? Why, Mr. Boynton, I didn't know you were back. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> Hi, Walter. Uh, let's go into the lab, huh? Okay, Mr. Boynton. Uh, the lab? Not yet. Uh... Don't you think you ought to say hello to our principal, Mr. Conklin? Oh, I just left his office. I brought him a little souvenir from the biologist convention. Oh, it was quite a meeting, Miss Brooks. Come on in the lab for a minute. I want to talk to you. Well, let's go in, Miss Brooks. Everything will be all right. Oh, but that tie with the owl. Oh, it's good to get back, all right. Same old blackboard, same lab tables, equipment, and... Say, well, what's this little bag? Open it, why don't you? Maybe it's a present from someone. A <laughs> uh, present? Oh, it's a tie. Ah! <laughs> what happened? Did the tree fall off the cliff? <laughs> Wait a minute. This is identical to the tie I gave Stretch Snodgrass last Christmas. You gave it to Stretch? It certainly gets around. <laughs> I, I remember it very well. I thought it was all right to give to a young kid, but... Uh... Oh, here's a card that came with it. Don't read it. Oh, that's okay, Miss Brooks. Let him read it. Hmm, it says, to Philip Boynton from Daisy Enright. Daisy Enright? But look at that big box on your desk, Mr. Boynton. Why don't you go over and open that? But, uh, another package? What is this? Anyway, let's take a look at this situation. That's what I tried to tell you in the hall, Miss Brooks. I figured the tie would look like nothing next to Miss Enright's gift, so... I switched the card. What? Well, this is a surprise. Oh, what a beautiful suede jacket. Miss Brooks, you shouldn't have done it. I didn't. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, I, uh, Walter here. I've got to go now. Still a little hard. Walter. Walter. Well, Miss Brooks, oh, this convinces me of something I've always felt to be true, that your sensibilities, your, your generous nature... Oh, look, Mr. Boynton, I just... Well, now, just comparing this exquisite jacket with that ridiculous tie of Miss Enright's, it's just, just overwhelming. You like the jacket, huh? <laughs> it's, it's the most wonderful gift I've ever received. I did plan to stay home tonight and catch up on some work, but this, this lovely gift changes all that. Miss Brooks, I... If I may, well... I'd like a date tonight. You would? How about dinner, Mr. Boynton? Oh, it's a splendid idea, Miss Brooks. What are you having at your house? <laughs> you, now. <laughs> Good. And, and let's have lunch together, too. Fine. The lunch will be on me. I wouldn't have it any other way. Me either. <laughs> well, there's the bell for class, Miss Brooks. Yes, I'd better get going, but... Mr. Boynton, I'd appreciate it if you'd help me to the door. Help you? Yes. I want to be sure I don't trip over my conscience. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. <laughs> 
Now, proof that brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Continuous research, hundreds of case histories, makes this the most conclusive proof in all dentifrice research on tooth decay. Eminent dental authorities supervised hundreds of college men and women for over two years. One group always brushed their teeth with Colgate's right after eating. The other followed their usual dental care. The group using Colgate Dental Cream as directed, using Colgate's exclusively, showed a startling reduction in average number of cavities, far less tooth decay. The other group developed new cavities at a much higher rate. No other dentifrice offers proof of these results. Modern research indicates decay is caused by mouth acids, which are at their worst after meals or snacks. When you brush your teeth with Colgate's right after eating, you help remove acids before they can harm enamel. Yes, Colgate's contains all the necessary ingredients, including an exclusive patented ingredient for effective daily dental care. And remember, Colgate's cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. Always use Colgate Dental Cream right after eating to help prevent new cavities, help stop tooth decay before it starts. Well, when lunchtime arrived, I hurried toward the cafeteria to keep my date with Mr. Boynton. But as I passed the principal's office, Mr. Conklin's daughter, Harriet, bounded toward me from behind a potted plant. Hi, Miss Brooks. Daddy wants to see you before you go to lunch. Naturally. But before you go in, I've got some wonderful news for you. What do you think I just found? Miss Enright lying at the foot of a stairway. <laughs> no. I've discovered the most devastating welcome home gift for Mr. Boynton. I got it in a store around the corner. Here, I'll open it for you. It's a hand-painted silk handkerchief, Miss Brooks. Look at it. Well, what does the pattern look like to you? To me, it looks like a big yellow tree on a cliff by the ocean with a purple owl on top of it playing a bugle. <laughs> That's exactly right. Isn't it the end? I hope so. <laughs> It was part of the set, but I couldn't afford the extra 65 cents for the tie that went with it. Don't let that worry you, Harriet. Maybe Mr. Boynton will just happen to have a tie with a yellow tree and an owl on it. And did you notice this, Miss Brooks? Right under the yellow tree on one of the green branches is the initial B. Get it? B for Boynton. Or billiards. <laughs> it's really very pretty, Harriet, and I'm sure Mr. Boynton will love every twig of it, but I'd better get in to see your father. Okay, Miss Brooks. See you in the cafeteria when you're finished with Daddy, or vice versa. Come in. Well, it's Miss Brooks. Sit down, won't you? Over here by my desk. That's where all my friends sit when they drop in to see me. You all right, Mr. Conklin? <laughs> well, now that you mention it, Miss Brooks, I'm not all right at all. I'm very embarrassed. You see, this morning, Mr. Boynton presented me with a four-pound frog. Congratulations. <laughs> what are you going to call it? It's this brass ornament you see before you, and that's the crux of my embarrassment. You see, I had refused to join in my daughter's plan to purchase a gift for Boynton, but when he gave me this uh, brass object... I told him I had a gift for him at my home. Well, it's not too late to pick it up, Mr. Conklin. But I have nothing for him at my home. Well, how do you think I can help you, Mr. Conklin? Uh, I find this most difficult to put into words, but although I don't believe in borrowing, I simply must purchase a gift for Boynton. And, Miss Brooks, as I've heard the student body put it, I'm stony. Mr. Conklin. Yes? You're still stony. <laughs> oh. 
And there's no sense in wasting each other's time. Is the good day, Miss Brooks. Good day, Mr. Donald. <laughs> Hi, Miss Brooks. What's new in Inner Sanctum? Not very much, Walter. What have you got in those two paper bags? Well, in this one, I got the tie that Mr. Boynton thinks Miss Enright gave him. Owls on parade? Yeah. Mr. Boynton said he'd have no use for it, so he gave it to me. Of course, he warned me never to wear it when Miss Enright's around. If you're smart, you won't wear it when you're around. <laughs> but gosh, Miss Brooks, now I'm stuck without a gift for Mr. Boynton. Can you think of anything I could give him? Sure, but I don't think I'd fit in that bag. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're on the subject, have you seen Miss Enright around anywhere? Oh, no, Miss Brooks. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that she doesn't get to talk to Mr. Boynton. Me too. I'd better get him out of the cafeteria and over to Marty's malt shop for lunch. Are you going to eat now, Walter? Not just yet. I gotta deliver this sandwich to Mr. Conklin. That's what's in this other bag. Oh. He's eating in his office today. He says there's something in the cafeteria that makes him very nervous. I know. You pass the cashier on the way out. <laughs> huh? Yeah. I'd better hurry now, Walter. See you later. Okay, Miss Brooks. Come in. Oh, you, Denton. Yes, sir. Here's your lunch. It came to fifty-five cents. Did it really? Yes, sir. I laid it out for you. That was very considerate, Denton, but I'm afraid you'll have to wait to be reimbursed. I, uh, I don't want to break a big... How big? Get out, boy. <laughs> uh, no, 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 wait, wait. What have you got in that other bag? It's just a necktie, Mr. Conklin. A necktie? Yeah, would you like to see it? I'll open the bag for well, you. Just and hand I... it over. I'll open it myself. Thank you. Uh, yes, it's delightful. But frankly, Denton, I don't think it quite suits your personality. However, I might be persuaded to take it off your hands. Yes, indeed, I think I can put this tie to very good use. Well, sure, Mr. Conklin, I'll sell it to you real cheap. Uh, I'm not interested in buying it, Denton, but perhaps we could work out a trade. A trade? Here on my desk is a beautiful brass frog. It's brand new, you see. I just took it out of this lovely maroon gift box. If you'll give me the tie, you may have this charming ornament. It's a deal, Mr. Conklin. Yes, indeed. I think I can put this frog to very good use. I'm glad I caught you before you went home, Mr. Boynton. This is the first chance I've had to give you this little homecoming present. For another present? My goodness. I certainly appreciate this, Harriet. Not only because of the spirit behind it, but because it serves as a reminder that I ought to pick up a little gift for Miss Brooks. You see, I'm having dinner with her tonight. Oh, I think that's stupendous, Mr. Boynton. What are you going to get her? Nothing very ornate, I'm afraid. I spent quite a bit of money on my trip, you know. By the way, what's in this package you've given me? It's a hanky with your initial on it. A big B. B for Brooks. I mean, Boynton. I had it gift wrapped for you, Mr. Boynton. But if you'd like to open it... Oh, no, no. Leave it wrapped. And, And thanks again, Harriet. Yes, indeed. I think I can put this hanky to very good use. Do you think Mr. Boynton enjoyed the dinner, Connie? Oh, I'm sure he did, Mrs. Davis. Maybe you ought to go back into the living room, Mr. Boynton. I'll finish these dishes myself. I wouldn't dream of it, Mrs. Davis. I'll get my chance to be alone with Mr. Boynton later when you go to the movies. Oh, Am I going to the movies? 
<laughs> I saved up for it all day. <laughs> Very well, dear. But before I go, I'll make some coffee for the others. Others? I forgot to tell you, Connie. <laughs> Me and that absent mind of mine. <laughs> Mr. Conklin called late this afternoon and said he missed Mr. Boynton at school, so he'd drop over tonight with a little gift he had for him. Oh, that was right after Walter Denton called, and he said he'd be over with his little present. This is the earliest Christmas we've ever had. <laughs> now go on inside, Connie. Forget the dishes. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. See you in a few minutes. Well, Miss Brooks, you all finished with the dishes? Mrs. Davis gave me time off for good behavior. <laughs> I, I don't want you to think I neglected to bring you a little memento of my recent trip. It's just that I, I was waiting for the propitious moment to present it to you, and... Well, I think this is it. Here, Miss Brooks, I hope you like it. Why, Mr. Boynton, what a beautifully wrapped package. Oh, it's a shame to open it, but I'm so curious to find out what it is. So am I. Uh, that is, a... <laughs> I'm curious to see how you like it. <laughs> don't like it. I love it. <laughs> may, I, may I see it, please? Surely. Here. Well, thanks. I'll just... You don't like it. Oh, I love it. You, you have no idea how difficult it was for me to get a handkerchief like this with a design to match the tie Miss Enright gave me this morning. Yeah, I don't know. I know I didn't seem too crazy about it at first, but it kind of grew on me. Look, it's initialed B for Brooks. Or bought by Harriet. <laughs> Mr. Boynton, if that tie grew on you so swiftly today, why did you palm it off on Walter Denton? Walter who? <laughs> Well, uh, hadn't you better answer the front door, Miss Brooks? It's not locked. Come in. Oh, good evening, Miss Brooks, Mr. Boynton. Good evening, Mr. Conklin. I'm certainly glad to see you. He sure is. My, uh, my daughter Harriet told me you were having dinner here, Boynton, so I thought I'd drop over and present you with this little welcome home gift I promised this afternoon. Here. Oh, thank you, Mr. Conklin. Uh, shall I unwrap it now? If you wish. One thing about Osgood Conklin, he never stints on gifts. I bought this original creation in the most exclusive haberdashery in town. <laughs> you don't like it. We love it. Always have. lovelier than a yellow tree with a purple owl playing a bugle. <laughs> Unless it was a purple tree with an orange pig playing a fife. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mr. Conklin. It's just what I needed. Oh, don't mention it, my boy. I still owe you a debt of gratitude for that lovely brass frog you gave me. I shall treasure it always. Come in. Good evening, folks. Harriet Conklin told me you'd be here, so... Mr. Conklin... What are you doing here? He just came over to give Mr. Boynton this gorgeous tie. See, Walter, with the tree and the owl? Gee, that's very... Oh, no. What are you all knowing about, Denver? Uh, Walter, did you say you had a gift for me? Oh, yes, Mr. Boynton. I got it right here in this maroon box. Oh, no. knowing about, Mr. Conklin? Uh, Denton, I'd better have a word with you in the kitchen, boy. Oh, sure, Mr. Conklin. Just as soon as I give Mr. Boynton this brass frog. Brass frog? Brass frog. Brass frog. <laughs> well, 
Thank you, Walter. It uh, certainly is fun exchanging gifts, isn't it? Yes, and tonight we're really exchanging them. Well, it's the idea that counts anyway, isn't it? And I've gotten some swell things, things that make me almost glad I left Madison so I could come back. Look, Mr. Conklin, how do you like this suede jacket I've got on? Oh, it's extremely attractive, Boynton. And Miss Brooks gave me this. Come in. Well, good evening, everyone. Hello, Miss Enright. Miss Enright? Miss Enright. Miss Enright. <laughs> Harriet Conklin told me I'd find you here, Mr. Boynton. Uh, she, she did? You remember Harriet, known to her intimates as the town crier? <laughs> oh, let me look at you, Mr. Boynton. My, that suede jacket looks simply divine. Ain't it a dandy? <laughs> uh, Miss Enright, why don't you and I go for a walk? It's pretty stuffy in here. Oh, but I just got here, darling. Let me admire my jacket for just a moment. Your jacket? Mr. Boynton, I better have a ticket with you, talk with you in the kitchen. <laughs> here this morning. I left a gift for you, Mr. Boynton, on your desk. My card was attached. Oh, yes, I, I got the tie, Miss Enright. But... Tie? I didn't give you a tie. I gave you that suede jacket you're wearing. You? The card said... <laughs> Miss Brooks, how did you... Miss Brooks, where are you? I'm over here in the closet with the rest of your gifts. <laughs> what are you doing in there? I'm using the hanky for a blindfold, the tie for a noose, and, Gridley, you may fire the brass frog when ready. Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight? Yes, tonight. Show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Luster Cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives K. Dumas' magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Not a soap, not a liquid. Luster Cream shampoo leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Even in hardest water, Luster Cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a Luster Cream shampoo. So gentle, Luster Cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try Luster Cream shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I finally realized that there was nothing I could do but be completely honest and admit, in spite of what the consequences might be, that the entire affair was the fault of Walter Denton. Although the embarrassment was pretty evenly distributed, Mr. Boynton felt that the least he could do was see Miss Enright home. And Walter, of course, dropped Mr. Conklin like a hot potato. <laughs> when they had all gone, Mrs. Davis came in with six cups of coffee. Where did everybody go, Connie? Out, Mrs. Davis. Thanks just the same for the coffee, but I'm going to bed oh, now. Just a minute, Connie. I have a little favor to ask of you. You know, everyone gave Mr. Boynton a welcome home gift today except me. Unfortunately, I'm a little short of funds, so I can't buy him anything. But if you don't mind, 
I'd like to iron that muffler you gave me last Christmas and give it to him in the morning. Please, Mrs. Davis, I've just You had know it. the one I mean, Connie. The one with the yellow tree on the cliff by the ocean. We're <laughs> a little late, so good night, Mrs. Davis. Next week, turn into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Mustard Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Men, do you shave with a lather or brushless shave cream? Palm Olive Shaving Cream comes both ways. And whichever way you prefer to shave, you'll find that using either palm olive brushless or palm olive lather shaving cream can bring you more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Here's the proof. 2,548 men tried the new palm olive way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they had shaved before, three out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get palm olive brushless or palm olive lather shaving cream today. October 24th is the anniversary of the United Nations Charter and will be observed by almost the entire civilized world. International cooperation is dependent upon you, individual citizens everywhere. The U.N. must have your support, faith, and enthusiasm. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, y'all, time to wrap it up. I've had a good time, and I hope y'all had just as good a time as we have. And uh, I'd love to sit here and do this all day, but unfortunately I can't. i got a cat to feed, and Victor's got a wife and kid to feed, so <laughs> so we got to get off, off here and go for another week. But uh, next week we'll be back with another Christmas show, uh, the last one. So y'all have a good week, and happy holidays to all of you. Bye-bye, everybody.